Hello, and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. We're going to talk about some famous monsters today. But first, my name is Pete. My name is Bob. Hi, Bob. Hey, Pete. How are you? I'm okay. Um, I feel like this should be a Halloween episode, but it's going to be a midsummer episode. But I'm cool Ooh. with that, you know? Well, you know, we're... we're... Are you an October's child? <laughs> I'm a December's child. I'm a December child too. So what do us uh, ice fairies have to say on anything of the fall? <laughs> um, that said, I bet we're, wait, I'm December 1st. You are? I'm the 18th. Yeah, we're still in the fall. We're still autumnal. It's like. Uh, True, yeah. It's my favorite joke is so my son was born in October. And so he used to go, oh, I was born in the fall. And then, you know, Dada, when you were born, I was like, well, I was born in the fall too. And Amanda's like, you were born in December. That's not the fall. I'm like, winter doesn't start till December 21st. I'm sorry to tell you that. True. But, uh, I was like, you know, and, and my mom is born in the winter. She was born in February. So I'm like, oh, you know, um, <laughs> just like literally <sighs> the most pesty, silly things you can do to each it's other. It's fun, to, particularly to, for a child, though. Oh, my God so much goofy throws him into a tizzy i'm sure oh he he loves it he loves it and uh sometimes sometimes amanda thinks it's funny but um (laughs) what are we here to talk about today pete i think it's uh this one feels familiar yeah this is a uh, another redux episode we're gonna tack on one of our older episodes from our earlier podcast called it came from new jersey um where we talked about the misfits record walk among us um, and I think I'm going to actually tack on an extra bonus episode because we actually did a twofer on It Came From New Jersey where one episode you and I discussed the album and then the following week we had friend of the podcast Brian Gorsegner um, mm. of Nightbirds and Ancient Artifacts fame come on and talk about the record as well. So um, there's lots of content there. I think I assume a lot of people listening have not heard any of them so i think it's going to be a fun treat i agree i agree um so in preparation for this revisit i did i did the thing pete i did the i did the re-listen i like dove deep i was like all right let me see let me see and i i have a couple different feelings maybe clarifications of feeling okay but like largely I, I feel the same on this record. You know what yeah, I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. That was that was my takeaway. I uh, I also re I listened to the record and I re-listened to all of our conversations on that earlier podcast. And yeah, it's it's just it's a great punk rock record. Um, right. and I I actually this is our third now kind of revisit episode, and I'll say that I feel more similarly about this album than I did monster magnet or gaslight anthem, you know, like my feelings on this have remained more or less consistent. Yeah. I I think that very much so. Um, which doesn't surprise me that much because this is the record I was the most familiar with perhaps of any record we've done. I think so too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if for, if for some reason you've never heard the misfits before, or this is your first, uh, engagement with us, we do talk about them quite a bit. Pete, maybe tack. Yeah. Are you going to do both our misfits episodes into this one? Yeah. That's the plan. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so we go way in on it. Can I, 
come at you with two things. One, I think a golden positive and then maybe one that someone would feel away. One, don't feel away. This record's dated. It really feels of the time. It yeah. doesn't make me dislike it at all. I love it. And it like the lore, the feeling of it, like <clears throat> it takes me to a time before I had a cell phone. It takes me to a time <laughs> of driving around with my friends in suburban New Jersey, throwing pumpkin throwing pumpkins out the window, doing generally bad kid stuff, driving on people's lawns, being ridiculous for no real reason. Uh, the, that hopefully the karma doesn't come back to smash me as an adult. <laughs> but if so, I'm fully prepared. But that's how I feel. And that's how this record feels. It feels so of a time to me that was before the time I heard it. But at the same time, it, there was more in common between those two times, which is like 1982 and 1996. Yeah. Then to now. You know, um, in just the way that people interact with the world and the way that kids interact with the world, not to say that kids don't do silly pranks, <laughs> not to say that kids don't do bad kid stuff, but to say that it just feels so different. Yeah, it's I, I, I almost feel the same way. I was actually thinking about kind of my relationship with older punk and hardcore stuff that I heard when I was young. I mean, Misfits I heard when I was young, young, like it was one of the first punk bands I was ever introduced to, but I quickly got deeper into things. And last week I listened to, uh, the Necros LP yeah. for the first time in a long time. One of my favorite punk hardcore records. See, quite honestly, so did it so touch you at all or no, it didn't hit me at all. Yeah. Um, they, they, I mean, to be fair, they were never a band that I really gravitated to. Sure, sure, sure. Um, like I, I heard them. I had, you know, like a CD compilation of all their stuff and stuff yeah. like that. But it, it wasn't something I went to all that often. So I also don't have like those warm and fuzzies about it. Um, yeah, th there's no nostalgia t connected to it for you. Yeah. So like, so I listened to that. It didn't hit me super hard. I listened to Neos, mm -hmm. and another one that I had, you know, when I was youngerish, and mm -hmm. that was just so much more fun. And as a result, oh, it hit me harder. But then I put on the Misfits, and I know that they're all very different bands. But the Misfits was just so much fun. I was like, "This is all I want at this point from like older punk." And maybe it's just a mood thing. It's nice out. It's summertime. But I was really feeling the Misfits uh, these last couple of weeks. No, I, I I got so much love for this record. Um, my other my golden take for this is that. I feel like this band is a um, like this is top tier punk music to me. Like yeah, and I thought about it because we did a Sex Pistols record not that long ago. Yep, we did. I, no, we haven't done a Ramones record yet. Uh, that's a good call. We should do that. We should, but like, it, it, but but in my head, this belongs on that level of. Um, I agree. Of, of, you know, canonization. And because I, for whatever reason, it appeals to, it has that mass appeal that a lot of other, you know, bands, like they were playing with the Necros, but the Necros, even if they reunited in 2022, oh. are not selling out the garden, you know? No, 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 not close. And, and they just, you know, the Misfits became such a myth. Yeah. And, 
you know, Danzig going on to his heights. And like, it makes sense to me why the Misfits got so big, both posthumously and why they were apart from the crowd they ran with, even at the time. Mm-hmm. There's a truly classic feel to it. And I, I have to ask this in a, you know, talking about the Sex Pistols episode, we, we watched that. There's like a Hulu show about the Sex Pistols. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but we got into the conversation of a post-Nirvana world where the Sex Pistols almost feel a little quaint. Mm-hmm. Not to say anything like that about the Misfits. I don't feel that, actually. I think there there's some pretty gnarly elements of the Misfits. But, like, but it, I think if you're interested in aggressive music if you're interested in guitar music in the same way as there's some some rock records you hear i think you should hear a misfits record yeah no i think you so know, too. I, I think it's it's like right there so there's a lot of glowing um i don't we go go real hard on it and really dig into it i love the record i don't think there's anything i would truly change we talked about like the quirkiness of having a live track just kind of cut in mm-hmm. and how ha- like do l- looking back and thinking about the conversation. I love how off kilter and, and like non major label that is a thing to do. You know, yeah, it feels intentional in a way that's, that's gravitating towards like, yeah, there's no rule to this. We're going to put this song on cause we, we think that's what we're going to do. That's just it, you know? So, yeah. um, I continue to think that the album cover is so weird and I love it for it. Would you like <laughs> to give some rankings to this record since we didn't do our new rankings? We can, we can kind of do that. I didn't do them, but I'm willing to do them on the fly because I, I um, have a pretty strong chance here. Let's do it on the fly. I think the, the only thing I wanted to add oh, was yeah, um, we, we kind of to what you're to, kind of to your point, this is a record everyone should hear. I feel like it's, it's, it's just as important as the sex pistols record in a lot of ways. It's just as important as any of those Ramones records. I mean, it's, it's, we talked about it actually on the, the, it came from New Jersey episode, but I feel like the misfits, uh, I won't say more than the Ramones or the sex pistols because maybe it's equal. Um, but their DNA is in so many bands that are still Mm. playing, you know, from, from the, the, a little bit of the sound in some places, but, but more so kind of just the aesthetic. Um, I feel like, you know, Metallica were big fans, typo negative. were big fans. We mentioned that in the episode, um, you know, basically any, like you can go into hardcore and punk and see the influence, but you can also go into like darker, like goth rock stuff mm-hmm. and see the influence. Yes. You can go into industrial stuff and see the influence. Like it's kind of, I guess, maybe more than the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, it's 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 all over the place. You know, the, those bands influenced kind of a certain genre, whereas I feel like the Misfits uh, influenced a number of different genres and maybe even played into the creation of those genres in a big way. So I don't know. Yeah, I think this is a super important record. I think it holds up really well. I'd, I'd be curious to see what, you know, a younger, like, 25 or younger kid would think of this. Um, I don't know if it hit, it would hit them the way that it hit me when I was younger, but same. Um, it's super important nonetheless. So feel the same. I also, you know what the weirdest um, perspective I would like to get on the misfits is on a largely more metal than punk 
early 80s head. Yeah. To talk about what the Misfits meant to like the metal scene in terms of what they were doing sonically because like, okay, clearly what they were as an influence punk and hardcore is pretty easy to say and kind of look at and like, and I actually believe that <clears throat> their influences has these touches of outsider and fringe just like, Hey, Hey, yeah, we like the Necros and yeah, we love Black Flag and yeah, the Minor, minor Threat is cool and we like all those folks and you know, that's our, our boat. Yeah. But you don't have to do that. You right. Can do, you can do this weird thing too. And I have a feeling the metal head who stayed kind of on that metal course would have a really cool, weird perspective. Um, so I, I, I think it's, I think it would be really cool. For sure. Um, so, uh, shall Pete, we rank it? Let's rank it. Cool. Man, this is gonna be tough for me. I'm gonna be like <laughs> wild. Uh, holistic quality, the good out of twenty. How good is this record? I'm gonna give it an eighteen. Same. <laughs> I don't. I. I might, honestly though. I could give it a twenty. Like I don't know why it's not perfect. I think it's just <laughs> the fact that I don't go to it. Like, like I think the Stone Roses record is a perfect record, and that's kind of always my gauge. That's your twenty. Um, that's my twenty. So like. This and I, is, still, I still go back to it regularly. And so, so I think the only thing holding me back is that I don't go back to this as often. This this is an 18 to me only because it's probably my go-to Misfits record. However, it might not have one of my three favorite Misfits songs on it. Dude, they have so many good songs. I know. That's the problem. It's insane. <laughs> like, like, uh, like, there's no she... There's no, I love the song Cough Cool. Like London Dungeon. Oh yeah. God, there's so many good songs. So, um, and I'd have to think about it. I think I was asked my favorite Misfits songs and I pulled them out, but I'm, man, I'm questioning. But, but it's, there's songs I love that aren't on this record. So I couldn't say, hey, this is it. This is the one. You can just have this and that's all you need for the Misfits. Yeah. Um, highs out of 10. Uh, it's a 10 for me. 10 for me too. Um, lows out of 10 I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a 7 for brain eaters that's fair yeah I, I guess like I'm not when I think about it I'm like what are the other bad you know and it's not even bad like like ah man I really don't like brain eaters I, I think it's quirky and fun, but yeah, that, that's actually when I think about it and, and I'm not considering post Danzig misfits in this conversation. Right, um, right. <laughs> I, when, when I think about it, that is a low in the misfits catalog. Oh, it might so, be the lowest. So, yeah. It might be the lowest. So I'm going to give it a six for that because even, okay. even, even though it's low, I, it's not like it's a minute long and it's whatever. It's yeah. fine. Uh, competency, peer review. It's going to be weird. Competency. No one would accuse the players in the Misfits of being virtuoso. However, the tunes clearly are, and they stand out so much from their peer crowd. It's a nine for me. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. Drag factor out of 10. Uh, it doesn't drag at all for me. I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah, I'll give it. I'm gonna give it an eight. Doesn't drag really for me, but 
there's a couple beats that I could speed up here or there. Flow, I think it's almost a perfect flow. Um, eh, no, I'm gonna give it. An, I'm gonna give it a seven. The flow is good, not perfect. Um, I think there's a, it comes out of the gate so strong, and then hits a couple other nice grooves. But there's a couple dropouts in the energy, so it's a seven on the flow for me. Yeah, I'm gonna give a flow a seven too, just because it's I I I'm torn because I do love it that it was recorded in different places and there's a live track and it's just like this weird kind of slap together LP, but at the same time it, it works so well. So uh, yeah, there's, seven. there's a, there's a, there's a perfectly flawed aspect and then there's a flawed perfection aspect of it. So I get it. Right. Um, aesthetic, the look, the feel, the touch of walk among us. <laughs> um, I'm going to give it a nine only because it's not my favorite misfits artwork. Um, is your favorite Misfits artwork? I don't know. I we 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 touched yeah, on this in the earlier this, episode, yeah. but like I I think I love I love the seven inch singles, like all the artwork yeah. for the singles. Yeah, those are um, really and I good. and I like the earlier Misfits logo too better too. Um, <sighs> so yeah. All right, I, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a seven, um, because and I might have even ranked the. I love the art of the cover so much it's so weird it's so weird (laughs) it Um, is so weird (laughs) but we we need more cutouts of like band photos on top of weird like alien landscapes what in the world's going on but (laughs) you're not wrong this version of the misfits logo is a the more you look at it the worse it is which is the one that they ultimately adopted for like later misfits. I think Brian, Brian like said something super funny on the original podcast where he's like, yeah, this is where they just chose like a font, you know, it's like icicle font or something. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Which is funny to think about. Well, I think the first time this appears is on the Halloween seven inch. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah. uh, The more handwritten version is cooler. It's funny because if you look at the two logos next to each other, there's some similarities in the energy. Like the F and the T at the top kind of connect and there's a smaller I between. The S always fits under the T in Misfit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not as good as the original. So um, impact and influence out of 10. Uh, it's a 10. It's a 10. It's got to be a 10. I was trying to think if I could give it a 9, but it didn't say, no, there's other. I think this is a 10. I think this is a 10. Um, intangible, etc. It's tough. Keith, you got to go first. I mean, I mean, most of these things, I, I'm so, I, I'm so no. interested in giving it a 10, but I'm also trying to I'm just trying not to think, be I know, super I'm, generous. I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to be... I'm going to, I'm going to give it a nine. Um, this is one of the most important punk rock records in my opinion. Um, and it could have just been a completely like the players are not great. The track listing just in terms of, you know, again, having all the different recording sessions and, mm-hmm. and live track and all this just sloppy nonsense and the weirdo cover, it could have been a complete <laughs> train wreck and it just wasn't. So like something, it was lightning in a bottle somehow and it really worked out. So I'm going to give it a nine. It's 10. Um, okay. It's in a weird, like 
if it wasn't for the song Skulls, I don't know how interested in punk music I would have been, and I don't know how much I would have been then take that out, and I'm not sure how much I would have been interested in music, period. Um, That's fair. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm playing music in the way that I ended up playing music right. had it not been for like, I turned into a Martian. Right, right, right. It's, so, it's a wild thing. So, um, Pete, I'm, I'm looking at my points here. Let me see. Two, five, six, eight. It's going to be a yeah, high score. I think we're both of us. 86 out of 108.6. Oh, look at that. We tied. Nice, nice. And they were different, different ratings, but but I do feel like we both have. There's some nostalgia. There's some personal relevance, and and we both really believe this to be one of the most important records of this entire world. I mean, I I've actually been thinning out my record collection recently, um, yeah. and it's I really try to think like, what am I just keeping on the shelf? Um, right. if, if, if I had to keep like 20 records, what am I keeping? And like, I, I would keep this record. It's an Damn. important one. So, yeah. Well, I think we have some more to say about it. So without further ado, search of tracks came from New Jersey. This is the misfits. Walk amongst. It came from New Jersey, a podcast about music from the great state of New Jersey. I'm one of your two hosts. My name is Bob. And I'm Pete. How's it going, Pete? How are you? Going pretty good. Pretty excited to talk about the record today. Yeah, me too. Um, We can pretend we didn't just have a really long conversation about laptops um, because we're diving into a record that Predates laptops by a lot today. It certainly does, yeah. Um, so uh, before we get into it, a, a quick preamble. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. Every every episode can be someone's first episode. Uh, as I mentioned, the elevator pitch is that we talk about music from the state of New Jersey. The long form is Pete and I have been involved in music for a long time, mostly independent, mostly small stuff but a lot of it centered around the various types of music that go on in the state of new jersey and with that respect we wanted to explore records big small and otherwise from new jersey that we're either intimately familiar with a little bit familiar with or completely unfamiliar with that all that said please check out our other episodes have a couple in the bank already if you're joining us for today's episode 
you're in for a treat. This is a record I know pretty well. And <clears throat> despite 23-ish years of friendship with Pete, I don't know that I've ever had a meaningful conversation with him about the Misfits. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I mean, it's it's kind of a softball for both of us just because we're both so familiar. I think it's the first, definitely the first real softball episode that we've had in terms of, you know, a record that we, you know, we've we've heard way more than once, I imagine, um, y- you know. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, last last week we covered Monster Magnet, Dopes and Infinity. The week before that was Gaslight Anthem, 59 Sounds. So we've kind of touched on one record that we were both not familiar with at all. And then another album that we, you know, we're somewhat familiar with, but this is the first one where I think there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of kind of perspectives and, um, you know, opinions that come from different places. It's, it's going to be hard to be objective on this one, you know? Yes. So when you, when you get into this episode, uh, know that, we both have a background uh, in punk music, hardcore, punk, the whole thing. And uh, the Misfits are a formative band to that. And I think if you're of a certain age, they're more than formative. They're Mount Rushmore to a lot of people. Um, and so we we don't talk about bands uh, in as much as we do when you talk about their records. Today, we are discussing the Misfits Walk Among Us. Uh, as, as Pete mentioned, Total softball pitch, but I wanted to kind of bring it to center here on something that we really sink our teeth into. And, and, and to be honest, digest and maybe pick apart in a way that you, as a listener, don't feel comfortable doing to a record when you listen to it the first and second and third time or a record that you're familiar with, but, you know, it's, it's something that just kind of exists there and you have an affinity for, but you don't... The Misfits are a band who, let me just be really clear, I love, and I love this record, and I'm not going to be afraid to pull pull at the strings. And so for people who are listening who are Giant Misfits fans, please know that everything said today is done with the biggest love you could imagine. And also saying, hey, <clears throat> even Michael Jordan missed shots. Uh, the Misfits are an incredible band. If it were up to me, uh, man, this is a record that I would put in almost anyone who likes aggressive music's catalog, but we're going to kind of unravel it in the way that we do. Pete, uh, before we get into this, today's episode, when is the last time before this exercise, before listening to the record for for this episode, uh, did you hear Walk Among Us? I don't remember exactly, but I have to think it was over. It was definitely over four or five years ago. It's been a long time. Um, and I think the reason for that is not because I don't like the record again. Like I'm a huge Misfits fan. I just, they're one of those bands for me that um, I'm, I was so familiar with. Well, I became familiar with the, with at a young age. And as a result, I listened to them, you know, a lot, a long time ago. And I'm so familiar with them at this point that I just don't find myself revisiting them all that often, you know? So, um, this, I would say probably five years or so. It's been less time for me, but that, that old glove feeling, that old coat. Um, I actually have a Carhartt jacket, Pete, that I have had since 1995. Um, 
And I guess I'm proud to admit that it still fits me very well, um, despite gaining some uh, at least 75 pounds uh, <laughs> in the interim. It happens. I, I'm a I'm a tall person though, so thankfully it's not uh, it's not too crazy. Um, but the jacket still fits me. It became I retired it um, probably 12 or 14 years ago. And it became solely used as the jacket I wear when I'm carrying our Christmas tree into the house and our Christmas tree out of the house because it's got the, you know, it's a Carhartt thick, uh, heavy weave jacket so that now it's a little snug, (laughs) but it still fits, still zips, the whole thing. Um, But I can wear it, get covered if there's pine needles, if there's any sort of sap, any goo. I don't care if it gets on this jacket. You know, um, I love the jacket, but it, it's got one use. Misfits Walk Among Us is is more than a one-trick pony, but it does feel like that. I probably listen to the record once a year, maybe more frequently. And to be honest, when I sat with it here, I was like, yeah, I, I love this record in a way that I, I should probably pull it out more often. Um and I, I think that it deserves a lot of attention, maybe more than it gets right now. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's actually part of what I'm curious about is, and I think we'll get into it maybe later, but how much the Misfits, you know, are actually, you know, a band that people, like a gateway band at this point. Um, yeah, but I, actually, I wanted to kick it off real quick. Do you remember the first time you heard the Misfits or do you have any recollection of that? I do. I, I actually remember it very specifically. Um, I heard there's two really quick intro stories on that. I heard the song Skulls being played in um, in a friend's car, and uh, they were they were already into punk, and I, I wasn't. I was just getting into things, but I. I remember a lot of the stuff they listened to was a little more aggressive and, you know, more and aggressive, such a fun word to use because it's, it's a bit ambiguous though here. Um, It was less tuneful and it was more severe and kind of caustic to the ears. So when on the mixtape, the misfits came on skulls, as someone who wasn't really entrenched in that kind of like super aggressive, hyper fast, hard music, when the Misfits come on, it was like a different thing. It's very tuneful and it's got the same, well, I want your school, you know, and, <laughs> and it stuck like immediately. It was like, oh, this is one of the first punk songs I love. Yeah. So, so that was like, one of the earliest memories. And then <clears throat> fast forward, n- not a year probably, but maybe may- it could have been as few as a few months, but when you're young, months feel like years sometimes. Uh, and on my cross country team was uh, a- an older guy. He was a senior and I was a freshman named Blaze. And I'll redact his last name for privacy sake. And he uh, he was a huge Misfits fan. He was a kind of nutty dude, but he loved the Misfits, and uh, and he eventually became, you know, at the very least, an acquaintance, but 
probably a friend, I would say. And he, uh, he would start our cross country meets by screaming the lyrics to misfit songs, like as he's like, and so cross country for those who aren't unfamiliar is distance running. It's essentially a 5k race for the typical one. Um, 3.1 miles. And you go, you, so when you start, running cross country, you're told right away, like you don't sprint at the beginning. You want to sprint, sprint at the end, but you don't want to sprint at the beginning because you're not going to have the energy. However, when you all line up on a line, it is very hard not to want to sprint. And this dude would sprint every time, every time. And he'd be screaming misfits lyrics to himself, basically. And uh, I think it drove the cross country coach up a wall. Um, and made him crazy, but it worked for him. And I just remember that. That's like one of those like indelible memories of like, <laughs> what is going on? That's um, a thing to do. That'll definitely get everybody ramped up. Get, get some pumped. Um, so, uh, so yeah, those are my two memories, skulls and running cross country. What about you? Um, I don't actually remember the first time. I have to think that it was probably on a skate video or something. Um, right. They were one of those bands that – um, you know, um, I'm not ashamed. I definitely got into punk rock through green day and a lot of things that were happening at the time. Um, sure. but, uh, somebody, one of my friends must've had a misfit CD and it was just one of those things that was on all the time. But, um, I think the funny part about it is I think it has to have been walk among us or, or one of the collection albums, um, right. which, were, heard- which were very big. Yeah, that I heard the most. But then um, American Psycho came out like like right around then. So yeah. I remember kind of listening to the two interchangeably. And like, honestly, at that point, I, I, I didn't have the ear. I was just like, I guess, you know, they've just been playing for 20 years or something. And uh, I think I preferred American Psycho at the time, which I definitely don't anymore. I've, I have revisited it and it doesn't stand up all that well to me. But um uh, you know, it was one of those things where I actually, I saw the Misfits a year ago, um, when they played Newark. And I have to say that I enjoyed seeing them in 1997 at the Birch Hill with yeah. Michael Graves singing more than I did when I saw them last year. Um, so let's unpack that for a second. Um, what do you think it was? I mean, for me, it was, you know, being a kid, being excited about it, really, like, I had no interest in whether it was Danzig or who was singing it. Like, none of that mattered to me. It was just a matter of, you know, hearing those songs being played. Um, It just felt like the energy was there. Um, I remember the crowd was super psyched. Um, I think think it was Misfits, Sick of It All, and H2O. um, That sounds right, yep. Yep. Um, and that was actually, you know, a whole other conversation where, you know, I was getting into those bands at the time as well. For sure. Um, whereas the show last year, um, like a, the sound was terrible. Um, and B, I, I heard that, which is wild. So I'm sorry, continue. No, no. Yeah. Um, the sound was bad, but then it was, it was also just, you know, listen, if I was in a situation like Danzig or any of, you know, Doyle or any of those guys are, I would play all of the misfit shows I could, you know, like, why not? Yes. You, 
you built the band, you know, there's demand, you know, play the shows. A lot of people had a lot of great times. I heard the Madison Square Garden show was fantastic. You know, I have no beef with the whole thing, but um, it was really obvious to me that the only person that knew what was happening at any given point on stage was Dave Lombardo who yeah. <laughs> um, was playing drums. So, you know, if you know the Misfits and know the members, he is not one of the original members. He was one of the guys that got pulled in for that show, you know, and uh, everyone else, there were flubs kind of all over the place. The sound was off. There were certain points where you really couldn't tell what song they were playing, which is, you know, tough with Misfits because most of the songs are so iconic. You know, you know, you know, yes. them front to back. Um, but not only did the crowd not know until they really got to the chorus, but the band didn't seem to know. So it was just oh, really, no. it didn't, it just, the, the spirit wasn't there for me. The energy wasn't there for me. It was not a great experience. I have much fonder memories of seeing them, you know, in the late nineties. Yeah. I, well, so you, you hit the right point first is the, the experience, it's very hard to explain until you're there. And when you are there, you really understand it. The excitement and newness of things when you're a kid can't be understated. That's not to say you can't have incredible show going and live event experiences as an adult. It's just different. You know, it's, it's like, it's like eating your favorite dinner the first time or the second time you discover a new restaurant and you go and you're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. There's the first time where it's that magic of this is new. I love it. I just discovered it. Then there's the, I like this so much. I can't wait to go again. And after about the 20th time, and it's now just a part of your routine, you might not take it for granted. You might still love it. You might still really enjoy it. You might still crave it, but it's not the same. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so I, I think that that is one part of it. And yeah, I, I did not go to see the misfits, um, at the Newark show or the Madison square garden show. And I had the opportunity, um, a friend actually gave me a chance to go and, and they had a whole setup in one of the suites and I, I really should have, but I had the, uh, the inkling that I'd probably get another chance. And, uh, and I just don't know. Um, it's, it's sort of the question of, do I think I want to see that band in that experience? Um, and Pete, you know, we're talking mighty familiar about yeah. the, the Misfits, and, and that's okay because we are. But I do want to pull this out because there could be someone out there listening who's completely unfamiliar with this band. So sure. let's, uh, let's clear up the table here. We're going to tidy our papers and give you a little background on the Misfits. Because you might have heard us throw out a bunch of names and you'd be like, wait, who, what, where? Uh, the Misfits are a really early first wave punk band from Lodi, New Jersey. And, um, you know, their first single came out in 77, Cough Cool, I believe. Yeah. And um, members of the band are Glenn Danzig, who, you know, is primarily associated with this band and then his eponymously named solo act Danzig, but not a solo act, but you know, named the band after himself. <laughs> um, and uh, he also did a band called Sam Hain in the middle. Uh, Jerry only, who has pretty consistently uh, done the misfits uh, after a short break through the mid and late eighties, uh, 
brought it back in the late 90s with a variety of different singers. And uh, Doyle. Is Doyle Jerry Only's brother? Am I correct about that? That's no. actually a good question. I don't I don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah, no. Well, well Doyle and, and, you know, there was – am I forgetting someone? Danzig Doyle. No, you're right. Jerry, I, Only. Jerry Only's brother okay. is Doyle. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So these dudes started this band. Um, they – musical style speaking broadly so we can set the table. Punk but with a real um, – kind of appreciation for uh, American rock a la Elvis. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think the, the influence, especially now, you know, Danzig just recently put out an album of Elvis songs, but I think, you know, you listen to his voice and the, the Elvis influence is definitely there. Right. And so, you know, these guys are coming right in the wake of the Ramones and all that stuff, but but they start very small. They release their own records. Bah, bah, bah. They get more entrenched primarily with this like the DIY punk and hardcore world who really embraces them and, and loves them despite the fact. And I think there was some mutual appreciation. I think uh, at least a couple of these guys were into that first wave of American hardcore or punk rock stuff. But they were always a little different. These dudes from day one were wearing makeup. And that was so interesting because it's antecedent to a lot of the other with the bands they were playing with. You know, you talk about Black Flag and that's a band who was getting on stage in street clothes. You know, the the clothes they wore put on when they woke up in the morning were the ones they wore on stage later that night Um, with the Misfits. I was a little different and um, they were always more into the performative elements and somehow it all worked which uh, is kind of magical and cool and weird all at the same time. They break up in, I don't know, 83? Right. Um, Walk Among Us is a proper studio album that came out in 1982. And uh, and that's where we're kind of going to get into. Any other news or notes? The Misfits are also very famous because of a lot of internal squabbles, because their imagery is iconic. The Crimson Ghost figure, um, I'm certain that even if you are completely unfamiliar with their music, if you saw this image, you go, I saw that shirt on someone here, there, or anywhere. Um, And because they became so famous, they were bootlegged, their merchandise had true value, all this type of thing. And so that led to infighting in the band, Lots of litigation, who owned what, who wrote what, bop, bop, bop. And up until, what was that, three years ago? Four years ago? Something like that? When they started playing. Yeah, when they started playing with Glenn Danzig. Yeah, Yeah. I think it was about two or three years ago. Um, Danzig refused to have anything to do with the Misfits, other than when he would do his concerts, his, his band would perform a couple songs here or there as they chose. Um... And the other members had a version of the Misfits that, as Pete noted, um, they had a, uh, a singer who was the first replacement for Glenn Danzig, uh, Michael Graves, who did the band for a while. And after him, it was essentially kind of a rotating cast of characters where they had everyone from one of the Ramones singing to 
uh, a fellow named Zoli Teglas, who sang in a, band, a hardcore punk band named Ignite, um, who's very notable because he had a very operatic voice. So putting him in the shoes were, was very interesting. And I mean, and there's probably at least a handful more who were regular assignment singers for this band, The Misfits, including times where Jerry only would just sing all the songs. Um, and as far as I know, they were still, you know, making returns as a touring act through that time frame. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think Doyle was doing some solo stuff here and there, but The Misfits were pretty much always playing in some capacity. So uh, let's get into the meat of what we're here to talk about, which is the record Walk Among Us. Pete, as you established, you, it had been a while since you heard it. For me, it had been a while. Was there anything in your head, any preconceived notions or thoughts about this record leading into it, um, being that it had been a while since you listened? So this was always one of my go-tos. It was either, I would either, if I was going to listen to The Misfits, I'd either listen to this or Collection 1 or Collection 2. And collection, the Collection albums are um, not exactly, um, you know, collections of their singles, I think some of them are, a lot of them are re-recordings, um, right. but uh, essentially it's just singles collections. Yes. So, you know, I was excited to listen to it. I knew that, you know, I liked it. I just um, wanted to kind of go in with fresh ears and, you know, see what I thought about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. For me, not much. This was, this was, is my favorite Misfits record. And I wanted to frame it like, as I mentioned at the top, are there things I can look for on this record and kind of pick at? Um, which seems tough, but um, we're treating Walk Among Us like the prized student in a classroom. That you need to push him because he's so good, you know. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're gonna correct all the grammar and and really go into it. Um, I did want to think about too, you know, while I was listening to it like what else was actually happening at the time. Cause it's one of those albums oh. that, you know, I, I, I listened to, I've just listened to for so long that it kind of, it doesn't really have much of a context for me. Um, and mm -hmm. I guess I should say historical context. Um, because, you know, for me, it's just kind of one of those things that's always been there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I wanted to look at like what other albums were coming out at the time and things like that. I mean, you mentioned not to get into it, too much but you mentioned mentioned the face paint before and kind of the the theatricality of of it all and you know that was that was like a really really new thing at the time i mean the only band really doing that was kiss but obviously they were right. operating a different lane than kiss right so yes. um you think of bands like you know there's a punk band called tsol there's another band called christian death and you know they're all pretty influential bands now, but at the time they were kind of riding on that misfits vibe, um, you know, and, uh, misfits were kind of the originators, I guess, if we're not giving it to kiss, cause maybe kiss are the originators, but <laughs> we, we might need to give it to kiss. However, the misfits really took it out of the arena. And I think that's important. Um, taking it out of the arena, and putting it in a place where you can touch it and feel it, I think set the stage in a different way for how, how music can be performative and artistic in, 
even in a small sense, even in a way that you can reach out and touch it. Because with Kiss, yeah, they were larger than life, and that's part of their whole appeal. And I could really, if somebody wants to talk to me about Kiss Alive 2, we could really go in on that for a while. But it was on a giant stage in a giant stadium, and it always has been, and it was meant to be. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody wants to tell me about the earliest Kiss shows in, in you know, mid-sized venues, okay, that's neat. To be honest, if I want to see Kiss, I want to see them in a stadium. And that's sort of, you know, that kind of goes full circle to this idea of like the Misfits, however, I'd rather see in a club. Yeah. I'd want it, them in full paint, but I seeing them in a stadium was kind or an arena was kind of the pushback. Like, is this, this the uh, the way I want to experience this? It's a completely different energy. You know, I mean, um, although the aesthetics might be like a a little bit similar um you know kiss are singing about cold gin and the misfits are singing about going out and killing you know so i mean it couldn't be more different really so um so i think it's important to note that was such a great question because i've never put uh, and I, i like to look at things historically but i've never put where walk among us fits into the register and where it fits into how things go um comes out in 1982 um on Ruby Records, which is also a part of Slash Records. Slash Records, for people who don't know, was a big label that eventually gets acquired by Warner Brothers, but put out a lot of early punk and then moving on like odd alternative music. So everything from releasing the first Germs record and X Los Angeles to putting out records for violent femmes and you know uh los lobos and stuff like that much (laughs) later on um when we're talking about 1982 some of the other records that came out on slash include and i thought this was really interesting fear the record Mm -hmm. pretty big one in the punk world gun club fire of love and dream syndicate the days of wine and roses i'm not familiar with that one and the uh xlp wild gift so Walk Among Us in the Fear record. I can actually see parallels. Um, I, I for who they are and how this comes out, it's it's sort of interesting because it's it's not. It's so it's such a monolith to to someone who's into punk music, but in reality, this is a small release. You know, this is not a huge major label like roll out like check it out. Um, they were originally planning to release this in 81 on their own label, but couldn't. And this is, you know, you can pull this and read the Wikipedia stuff for yourself at some point, but, uh, but they do. And it did pretty well. Um, but pretty well at that time is 20,000 copies. So for the punk world, that's a lot for anything else. No, that's okay. (laughs) You know, Um, I actually, it's it's funny. You said 20,000. I was actually just reading about that. I, I read that Danzig claims that it sold 20,000, but, but apparently um, one of the record execs of slash at the time said all the, all the records that were coming out at that time sold around like 25,000 or 2,500 to like 7,000 max. So like, that number could be wildly inflated. Right. And that's, that's the part that's interesting is that for some of these early punk records, 
um, and I'll cite Black Flag Damage as another example. Some of the Danger House records, Circle Jerks records, stuff like that. Twenty to twenty-five thousand is like this weird fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand is this weird magic number that kind of gets tossed out. <laughs> um, yeah. And why that's important? It's sort of like, well, who's going to check you on that? You know, it's it's like uh, it's like telling stories that like no one can can totally confirm or deny, but people can speculate about. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound real, but it's also not so crazy that it, it it's not so crazy that it, it's a lie worth telling. So if it's a makeup number, great. If it's not great. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point, the misfits are so iconic that it sounds like a really low number, you know? Yeah. 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 So um, when it gets to the music, how would you describe misfits walk among us to someone who had never heard it? Um, it is, it's really, really driving. Um, it is, I, I would say it's, it's like the most relentless music that you're going li- to listen to that is still really catchy and sing along. Um, you know, it's, I was actually, I forgot that 20 eyes was the first song and it just like how aggressively the record kicks in. Um, yes. it's really like, it's, it still sounds really edgy. It's still like the record sounds great. Um, but you know, there are still a lot of woes. There's a lot of hooks. Um, they definitely, I think probably wanted everybody to be singing all the lyrics along with them. You know, it's, it's, it's like the songs seem like they were built to, to have sing-alongs too. So, um, but at the same time, it's really dark. Um, there's a lot of the, the lyrics evoke, you know, like a lot of dark imagery. A lot of it's taken from, I think like fifties and sixties horror films mostly. Yes. So it's like, I don't know. The, the short version is like horror movie influenced, um, aggressive punk rock. Yeah. And, um, yes, and the, it is driving. The speed is mid tempo to fast, but it you know in the register of someone who's more you wouldn't call this fast to anyone who's familiar with metal or punk music in the modern sense, right? Like it's fast yeah. compared to a lot of things, but you know it's not it's not racing. It's not there's no there's no just unbelievably fast, you know, BPM. Um, I'll say this, it, though, like, like the, the, sorry to cut you off, but the, the energy no, there, like it's not as fast as metal. It's not as fast as, you know, a lot of punk rock now. It definitely isn't. Um, it's certainly mid tempo in comparison to all that stuff. But I think the energy that they play thing, they, they play the songs at, it's like, they are definitely playing as fast and as hard as they know how to. And yes. you, you can kind you can kind of feel that through the record, um, and that's yeah that reverberates that that, 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 that like you pulsate yeah that's the effective part to me. That's really well put. I didn't think about that. That's that might be the if I put my head to it, I think describing this record as energetic, vibrant, dark punk. You know what I mean? Because it's lyrical content is pretty funny it actually is toned down from the singles 
uh, I was I was thinking about that because I was like, ooh. Um, now, and I should say it's toned down and, and give you a sampling of the song, Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? Uh, singled out yeah. the kids who aren't me to me. Get straight A's, but they still make fun. I don't give a, I'll laugh last. Stayed in every night. Do my homework so I'll be smart. Girls all say I'm a little fucked. Mommy, I'm a good boy. Mommy, I'm a fucking savior. Mommy, I'm alive. Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? Um, rip the veins from human necks until they're wet with life. Razor blades love teenage flesh and epidermody. Uh, I'll bring back a souvenir for it's my mommy's dream. Can I go out and kill tonight? Kill tonight. Um, that is the toned down lyrics for the misfits. <laughs> and do you think that could fly in the, uh, in the current, you know, for lack of a better term, the current climate? Um, no, I'm not sure it could. Now, how actually, about this one? Let me give you this, and then I want to hear you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The song "Bullet," and this is the one I was thinking of because "Bullet" is a is the second <laughs> single by the Misfits. Um, and you'll probably be able to get what the song's about. Man, are we going to have to have like a parental advisory sticker on this podcast? I know, right? Um, yeah. President's bullet-ridden body in the street. Ride, Johnny, ride. Kennedy's shattered head hits concrete. Ride, Johnny, ride. Johnny's wife is floundering. Johnny's wife is scared. Run, Jackie, run. Texas is in an outrage when your husband is dead. Texas is in an outrage when they pick up his head. Texas is the reason that the president's dead. You gotta suck, suck, Jackie, suck. So, um, <laughs> and it goes, it goes beyond that. I'll stop right there. Uh, let me put it out there. I love this song. I, again, love the Misfits. Lyrically, this is pushing the limit in a way that bands today wouldn't dare. Wouldn't dare. This is like Cannibal Corpse territory. It's like like the deepest of like death metal, you know. Right. And 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 I I say that not just speaking really broadly in the way that we have so far talked about kind of different records in this realm and and we'll probably eventually hit a Bruce Springsteen record in here, but this is something that even underground punk and hardcore bands don't tread into this level of conversation today. And oftentimes you see lyrical content kind of progress and change and push boundaries. And yeah, outside of like true, like death metal or like the most edgy of like intentionally edgy, not like, Hey, we're writing this song and this, you know, bullet is a staple of the misfits collection. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not some throwaway track. This is a popular misfit song. And those lyrics are, uh, are scalding. Um, so it's a, it's interesting to see how they kind of really push the limits lyrically. Um, and, and as far as the music, it's just, it really is. It's driving, it's pulsating. They, can I say this? I think discovering the Misfits before the Ramones made it harder for me to appreciate the Ramones. Sure. That actually makes sense. I mean, it's much more, um, it's a, it's an entirely different energy. I mean, Ramones feel like Disney world compared to this. Yeah. And, and, you know, that isn't to say the Ramones don't have a lot of merit. The Ramones are an important band, a cool band, whatever. 
But when I was working my way as a young person in music, I was like, okay, the Ramones are neat. This is like nifty. But what I want, I, I looked at that energy that the Misfits brought, specifically on Walk Among Us, and was like, they're tuneful. They're, you know, this is these are songs that get stuck in my head. It's relatively simple music, like, you know, the three chords type thing. It's pretty simple. But it's just so much, it's just, the music rips out of the record at you. And uh, I don't get that sensation for many records, and I still get that from Walk Among Us. Yeah, certainly. Um, if we want to jump back into kind of the history really quick. Please. I, the Miss, so, so I guess full context, um, you know, one of the reasons I like doing this podcast and wanted to do this was because I always like, you know, thinking about the history of albums and where they came from and like who was involved and all that stuff. So the Misfits historically for me have always been tough when I think of it in that context, because their discography is like impossible to follow. Um, You know, there's like, there's singles and then there's albums, but then there's albums that were recorded, but never released. And then there were albums that were recorded and not released until, you know, 20 years later. And, um, it's just, you know, and then there's singles collection where the actual singles are re-recorded, you know? So, um, they've always been like tough for me and, uh, uh, annoying in that way. But that being said, um, I actually didn't know that, um, there were two albums recorded before this. I knew there was one. So Static Age was recorded and they recorded 12 hits from hell. So um, Walk Among Us was recorded between 81 and the very, very beginning of 82. Um, But there were two albums before that. Static Age was finally released in 1996. Um, 12 hits from hell has never actually had an official release, although you can find bootlegs of it pretty easily. Um, so I knew about static age because that came out around the time that I was getting into the misfits. Um, but I actually wasn't even aware of 12 hits from hell until a few years ago, honestly. Um, so a lot of music there and it's interesting to me that they recorded two full albums before this, but yet this album is kind of a Frankenstein of an album. I mean, there's a live track on it, you know, not everything was recorded in the same place, although I think most of it was. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, given all of the recordings that they did for this, that they ended up with this. Right. Um, on a purely sound like sonic view, are there things about this recording that you would change or, or, I mean, or that you think could be quote unquote better? The one thing I will say is this record certainly sounds of its time. You know, it doesn't. It's not. It's not a particularly clean recording. Um, it, it's a. It's pretty dirty's not the right word, but there's a fuzz to it, and it works. And I feel like part of that is intentional because that's sort of the sound they're going for. But if you listen to other, if you were to listen to a Ramones record from this time, it's not nearly as buzzsaw as this record. Right. Yeah, it definitely has a a much more aggressive energy than all that stuff. Although, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and this is kind of, maybe it's the wrong time to ask the question, but um, just to bring it out, you know, do you think that the Misfits, 
you know, obviously they fell into the punk scene, you know, punk hardcore scene. That's where they ended up playing. But do you think that's actually where they wanted to be? Or do you think that they, you know, had their gaze set much on much, you know, grander ambitions and kind of ended up fitting into the punk scene? And that's, you know, just kind of where where it landed, because I really don't know. Like, I, I, I get the sense that um, I th- I don't know. I get the sense that they they could have been involved in punk, but they could have been involved in, you know, just like the New York City rock and roll bar scene and they would have been just sure. as happy. Yeah, I think purely speculative. And I'm sure there are misfits diehards who could give us a much better look into this eye. But but the way I always felt about it and the way I always saw it, and it's kind of why I appreciate the misfits as this singular entity, was that they liked where they were. They appreciate it. They love the energy because it's perhaps the only rooms they could find that match their energy were other, you know, bands in the hardcore and punk scene. And if you listen to their other records, if you listen to the record Earth AD, that's that's a that's a much faster record. That's a um it's not thrash because when I think of thrash, I think of more metal leaning guitars, but it's a very fast punk record. It's a blazing fast punk record. Right. So I think they ended up leaning that way sonically, but I think they would have been happy uh, if you had told the misfits, and this is perhaps what sets them apart. Hey, you're going to play 3000 capacity venues across the U S and sell them out. And then you're going to move up and start playing small arenas. And you know, you're going to go tour with kiss. <laughs> there is no part of me that thinks they would say no. Right. You know, I don't think that wasn't <clears throat> that wasn't uh, success to them was was success. They they thought, oh, we can we can do this band and we won't work odd job construction in North Jersey. Uh, right. <laughs> that's great, fantastic. We'll do that. Um, all that said, that is one of these weird separators because. The Misfits were a very DIY operation. They were releasing their own records. They had their own fan club that they ran. They did all these little things. And they were, from what I understand, it was all done by them. But had, and, and you know, and then Walk Among Us comes out on Slash, which is, you know, on Ruby, which is an imprint of Slash, which is notably a bigger record. But if they <clears throat> had the opportunity to sign to, Electra or Atlantic or Warner Brothers, I'm sure they would have considered that. Uh, as you can see, where where Danzig went, uh, that he went major label and and ended up being quite successful for a long time. Right. Um, so so the question being, did they just kind of end up in the more hardcore punk world? This this world that's a little bit more DIY by nature, almost in spite of and in the face of trying to do things for financial or monetary success, absolutely. But somehow it worked. And that's one of the miracles of this band that's most impressive is that they were odd ducks yeah. <laughs> and, and were, were revered. Um, these They were seen as formative to the sound. And I, I don't know, I don't know that they get credit for that energy and influence they had on the earliest, the first wave of, of American hardcore. Yeah, for um, sure. 
You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I listened to the album and I, I, I thought to myself, like kind of going back to my point about how it sounds like they're doing the best they can, you know, and like really pushing it. Like they could definitely write a hook. They could definitely write a song. Like these songs are like, obviously, you know, Pantheon punk rock songs. But that being said, like, it just sounds like they, they're pushing in a way that they, they want it to be like advanced. And it's just like, it hasn't gotten to the point that they like as players are capable of getting, you know, like, like, I don't know. I, I think about how much like Metallica are influenced by the misfits, you know, I, they kind of like wear that on their sleeve, not so much in their yeah. sound. Like, you know, they wear the shirts and all this stuff. They wear the shirts. They do the covers. Right. For yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, I think to myself, like, you know, like the misfits probably like wanted to be doing like more technical stuff, but like, you know, you listen to the drummer and like the drums are great. They're like, they're they're great punk rock drums, but like, and the guitars are too, but like those dudes weren't like the best in the biz, you know, when it came to like, actually like their chops, you know? No, Uh, no. (laughs) In fact, in, in fact, like the, one of the reasons I got into playing music was because I listened to the misfits and I was like, yeah, as like a twelve-year-old kid, I was like, I think I can like probably I think figure I can do this. out. Right, you know? I can do this. <laughs> yeah, which like, which that's no, like that's a whole other level, you know. But of the influence, um, no. I mean, yo, what you felt at twelve is something that wow. I wonder about that influence because of the aptitude that they showed, um, which is you know, let's spade a spade. Outside of Glenn Danzig as a vocalist, and we'll let's let's put a pin in that. They aren't remarkable players, except for what with the energy they play. Yeah, you know, it's they're pounding their their instruments. They are bearing them up. They're playing as hard as they can, and that is important. Um, and I think it doesn't get the due credit or respect it deserves. Now, I say that and they sell out arenas and they sold out Madison Square Garden. So it's not like they haven't gotten some respect. But in conversations <laughs> about influential early American punk and hardcore bands, they, they might get lift, left off that note just because their, their star rose so high. Um, with that said, are you pro Glenn Danzig vocals? anti or somewhere in the middle um in terms of like what now uh now then forever if that's changed go through your journey um i mean i'm definitely pro i guess i mean like i you know my favorite misfits records are the ones with glenn danzig um i think uh i think his voice really works for that music i think he I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that he was like more or less the visionary behind the whole thing. So to me, like the misfits, it's not really the same without him. Um, I don't know that like, you know, 2018 to 2020 misfits, notwithstanding, like we can can even pretend that doesn't exist. Like, I just think that um, you get a different energy from the original misfits than you do with, you know, American psycho and famous monsters and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm I guess I'm pro. Um he uh he definitely had a vision and he definitely contributed like massively, you know, to the band. So I I have to say I'm pro. 
I'm pro. I'm pro his vocals through all his material. Uh, I like him in Danzig. He has a unique voice. Um, he's going for Elvis, but also in an aggressive way. And um, man, if anyone who's listening to this, uh, whether you're really big Misfits fan or or you like the band but you haven't dug into things or or you're really not. I'd like you to listen to the records, this one specifically, Walk Among Us, hear his vocals, um, maybe go check out one of the Danzig records, hear his voice. He's got chops. He can sing. And then I would like you to hear a clip of him speaking <laughs> because he's not Sylvester Stallone, but he's the North Jersey version of that. And he's kind of got this like da, 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 talking like, like a guy who grew up in, you know, North Jersey in the... 70s yeah (laughs) and he's got a real good attitude about it um he's got some fucking attitude and uh it's really amazing to hear the chops from that dude um so if you if you aren't a singer maybe this is your inspiration as well to go maybe i can do that um he's got a great voice and he's pulling from unique wells i think one of the other parts that really makes the misfit stick out we reference the lyrics the content as being kind of salacious and shocking and extreme, but they also are very unique. And in the way that they were taking themes and following those themes and singing about these influences of horror movies and sci-fi movies, they opened up this world of appreciation for that in a different way. It's not total homage, but it's pretty close. And in the same way as I'm saying, hey, let's put some respect on the name of the Misfits, towards their influence on the first wave of American punk, hardcore, and DIY nature. Two, they open up this world of horror and sci-fi. Not that they were the only ones doing it. I'm sure there were people doing newsletters, but these guys were putting out songs about horror movies and sci-fi films that were kind of cultish. So they kind of struck into this really interesting vein uh, and kind of a, the Venn diagram of people into punk music and into horror and sci-fi in a real heavy way intersects perfectly at where the misfits are. Yeah, definitely. They like created their own niche in a way that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's gone away. You know I mean? Like, like my chemical romance, for example, I don't even, that's actually an album that I want to touch on at some point because uh, I've never heard them, but um, yes just aesthetically, you know, you can tell there's like an obvious Misfits influence, right? Um, Absolutely. Oh, like the updated version, perhaps. And we, right. we do have to talk about them. Um, yeah. So, so is there anything you would change on Walk Among Us? So I don't, I don't really think so, actually. Um, I, honestly had forgotten that uh, mommy can I go out and kill tonight was a live track. Yep. Um, and I couldn't really find an answer in my research for like why that was. It just kind of seems like that was probably the best version at the time that they had. And, you know, they decided to put that on because they liked the track. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is cool. You know I mean? Again, it, it sounds great. I don't think it takes anything away from the record. Um, I don't know. I mean, Honestly, I, I think that it's like a f- almost a five out of five punk record in the way yeah. that like the energy's there, they're playing their asses off. 
Um, like you said, I mean, like that DIY spirit, like they, you know, were one of the forebearers of that stuff. Um, I don't know. Like every track is a hit. Um, well, I agree. The only one I would say brain eaters is the one I would go, maybe I could cut this. However, I was going to, that was my next comment actually. Yeah. yeah because <laughs> Please. I, I, that's the one song that I didn't really remember being on the record, probably because I never cared. Never cared. However, I want to say there is a certain charm to a song like that. Um, it is silly. It is playful. It is a closer that has, they don't take themselves too serious. And, and in a world that quite often takes itself too serious, having a song that makes your simple, otherwise speaking songs look like calculus, um, closing your record with uh, brains for dinner, brains for lunch, brains for breakfast, brains for brunch, brains at every <laughs> single meal. Why can't we have some guts? Oi, oi. Um, See, but that's the one. That's that's where to me it's like, cut it. You're like, cut it. Yeah, like it. <laughs> it, it sounds like they all got hammered and like had a party in the studio, and like that. That's something you can like save for yourselves. You know. Like, <laughs> okay, so so if we have to vote, I guess we're gonna vote brain eaters off. However, yeah. I bet there's some giant misfits fan who's listening and is very upset at us and to it's, you uh, i apologize but it's probably a great track to like you know close the bar out to i don't know but like yeah it's yeah it's, I, I can go i can get better pub rock um, yeah, around exactly, town so exactly. um, otherwise it's a 13 song including brain eaters 24 minute 38 second record um if we take out brain eaters which is uh, 56 seconds and take out the mommy can i go and kill tonight live we're talking about an 11 song 20 21 and a half minute record that's nuts most of these songs clip by um and that's something i also think is really noteworthy about <clears throat> talented punk bands that have a sense of melody to their songs is the ability to capture a melody and make a memorable song in under two minutes. And almost all of these misfit songs, uh, 20 eyes, I turned into a Martian, all hell breaks loose. Vampira, uh, are under a minute and or under, or under two minutes. Um, violent world, devil's whorehouse, Astro Astro zombies is 214. But you know, all these songs are clipping in between a minute 30 and two fifteen. That's impressive. You know, uh, hate breeders is, the song that the longest and that's just over three minutes. So yeah. there's something about this record that's, it's very easy to digest even if you weren't a punk super fan. So if you're someone who's more into rock or you're more into indie or you're just not familiar with this at all, but you're, you're curious, I would actually recommend this as a door opener punk record for someone of any age. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, if given the option, would you take out Mommy? Uh, the no, library? I would not. I would not because the energy on it fits with the record and it sets this weird tone um, coming to this from, you know, being an early punk record I owned. Um, it was, it set the table for me being like, oh, wait, what? This is a, uh, they're putting a song played live, not like a studio song on here. Um, so no, I, I think it adds to the record. What about you? 
I definitely wouldn't, but I, I, I was listening to it. I actually listened to it again right before we, you know, recorded right now. And, uh, dude, the, like the bass drops out, like, it's not even a good <laughs> performance, you know, but like that being said, like, it, again, it just, it get it's get, it gets back to the energy where it's, it's, it's really hard to do that. And I think that we need to appreciate like bands like that don't come around every, you know, every day where you can record like a super sloppy live version and it, it, it's like actually the like definitive version, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I said, yeah, I, I, I agree with that strongly. Um, this is a punk record that I would also put it this way. And I hadn't thought of it till we were talking about this and simple songs. And there's this Elvis reference. They're using source material of like fifties and maybe early sixties, simple melodic rock and roll songs. But, you know, uh, let's click the speed up double speed and make it feel aggressive and violent almost. Um, but still have that tunefulness. So even if <laughs> there's an abrasion to the content, I feel like there's at least three songs on this record that would get stuck in almost anyone's head. Now that said, how has this record aged? Is this a record that you think being played to someone who's young in 2020, someone under 25, um, is this a record you think they, they could appreciate, enjoy, and really come to love as their own, like, like say you or I have? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of feelings on that and I'm not sure exactly where I land, but so, you know, when I saw them in Newark last year or two years ago, whatever it was, um, I didn't particularly enjoy it. You know, it was, it was fine, whatever. Um, that being said, there were a lot of parents there with kids and they were having a fantastic time, you know? Um, so in that way, I think that they're definitely, they're one of those bands that, you know, parents are passing down to their kids. Like my dad was like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to see yes. And like, there are some cooler dads who were like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to see the misfits. You right. know? So, <laughs> Um, that's arguable. You know, it's just depending on your perspective, right? Yeah, no, sure. But like, um, the energy is still there. I think, you know, if you, if you have, you know, someone there to show it to you, um, at the same time, is it one of those things that you can kind of find on your own, you know, that might get you into subculture in some way? Like, I honestly don't know. Um, and you know, one of the things I thought about was that, um, you know, I collect records, I'm on some message boards, you know, with people talking about, you know, new vinyl that's coming out or like, you know, reissues. And, um, recently, maybe a year ago, there was a reissues of the famous monsters LP, which is mm -hmm. one of the, uh, I think it's the second, um, kind of comeback album from the late nineties. Yes. Um, apparently that on vinyl was like a $200 record and people were thrilled that it was getting reissued. And I thought to myself, like, you know, cause personally I just, I've never heard that album. I, I kind of dropped off at that point. Sure. Um, 
but there were a lot of people who were really, really excited for it. And I thought to myself, like, that was potentially the first Misfits album that a lot of people heard. Like, that was their gateway. And, like, there's probably a lot of people who prefer, you know, American Psycho, Famous Monsters era to to any of the early stuff, you know? like. L- so- let, me, let me confirm that for you, um, which is a bit of a it was a bit of surprise to me um and it's not it's people who are maybe just under your age range pete um people who got into the misfits maybe three four years after us um or say in the early 2000s when they went back the records they were hearing were famous monsters in american psycho and the appreciation for those records in the past five to eight years that I've noticed is um, it was very surprising to me because those records, you know, let's be fair. They were sort of admonished and kind of dismissed as that's not the real misfits. That's not Glenn dancing. And um, it forced me to go because I had sat with that. I had heard those records probably once when they each came out and that was it for me. But when, and, and you know, I was young, so it was easy to dismiss things, and I, I still had a lot of music to discover. But, but when I started hearing people really talk up these, these Michael Graves Misfits records, I was like, okay, let me, let me give it a try. And uh, I don't feel that kind of love for them, but there's a couple songs. There's a couple songs that I'm like, okay, I get it, but it doesn't, what those records really lack is this raw, fervent energy that is kind of the, the that we keep circling around and going back to and saying, "Look, you just can't re- you can't recreate this kind of energy by force. This is something that happens, and sometimes bands capture it, and sometimes they just don't. And Walk Among Us has it in spades, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, on a purely production level, I don't know. I hear from people on each side of the fence that sometimes. You know, I've heard from some people that they can't listen to old music that doesn't have a certain production quality, and that's okay. But uh, but I think this is a pretty timeless record. That yeah, said, I mean, no, go ahead, sorry. No, please. I was just gonna say. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, for me, like a lot of the early punk albums that I you know got into initially, you know, they they sound like this. Um, so to my ear, it's fine, but. Um, I imagine, you know, going along with the famous monsters, American psycho, you know, era people, um, I can totally see how, you know, that kind of newer production value, which I I guess at this point is 20 years old, but it still sounds a lot fresher, I think, than, um, walk among us, um, you know, how people could get in there and, you know, not be as excited by the older stuff. So, um, Yes. And so I think you, you asked an, a really great question at the beginning of the episode. I think we should circle into that as it kind of segues into this really well. Yeah. So, you know, are the Misfits still a gateway band? Because they were so obviously a gateway band for me. Um, you know, they led me to Black Flag and, you know, just all of these other kind of critical punk bands of the time and of the era. Um and I just don't know, you know, I'm full disclosure. I'm 35 years old. I, at this point, don't really know where, if people are getting into punk rock, 
what the gateway is, you know? Um, I, because, you know, quite honestly, like I think of famous monsters being a gateway album and I have to imagine like, maybe that's not one either, you know, like maybe the misfits are just an iconic logo at this point. I honestly have no idea. I think, um, exactly the same. Um, what I will say is I have a definite opinion on it. I don't believe they are. Um, I think that they can be, but you made this really great point and it's sort of like, I I often think of bands as having different life cycles and and different waves in popularity and rises and falls in, in terms of cycling in and out of pop culture or, or popularity and subculture for that matter. You gave the example of getting into punk music through green day. And, and I think it's important for people to note that, you know, in the mid nineties, early mid nineties, there was grunge and alternative. And that was sort of how I got into it. And immediately following that and kind of adjacent to it at the end of it was, was this weird little rise of punk music where green day hits big and, then Rancid and The Offspring also do. And those are all varying levels of, you know, quote unquote, credibility punk music. Uh, and so, you know, that's a longer conversation we can have, blah, blah, blah. That's not really what it's about. What it's about is the sonic nature of it. That whole wave of bands, and if you want to also include the rise of heavy metal, um, which, you know, starts in the mid 80s, uh, early mid 80s, and, and continues. Um, Metallica was always wearing the Misfits on their sleeve as, hey, this is a band you need to know. I'm not sure that young people think they need to know Metallica at this point. Um, right. Or, or use that as a go-to, like, hey, I'm going to check out this Metallica band. What's this all about? Green Day, Rancid, The Offspring, they made it a really easy sonic jump over to the Misfits, who then make it an easy jump over to several other more more underground punk hardcore bands or that whole world. I don't see Sonic analogs to that, you know, in mainstream punk music. Um, And there's some of it, but you start to have to make, you need something in between that pop culture relevant band and then getting, you need one other band to be a step to the Misfits at this point. So I think that takes them away. They're still, I said they're a door opener band because their sound is a bit accessible and it's tuneful and a a little easier to palette than some things. But right now, I don't know, like, you know, um, there's people who still check out, you know, the the new Blink One Eighty Two record, but but that's a, a grow a shrinking population. So what are the big bands who you could say, hey, I could see someone checking this out, and then they'd be able to step over into the Misfits, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Misfits at this point, their influence is so baked in to like all not even just subculture, like all music, I think, um, you know, Blink-182, like still a huge band, you know? Um, Absolutely. And, you know, they have an obvious influence, but, you know, things like like the, the biggest subcultural bands, like, you know, like let's talk about like Morbid Angel for death metal, uh, you for know, sure. and like My Chemical Romance who like, you know, just 
got off this big reunion tip. Like that's right. All of those bands, like the Misfits, are like so baked into their DNA. It's undeniable. They might not sound like them. They might not look exactly like them. But like you know, the 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 vibe and the spirit is definitely there. Like um, I actually just got um, a new book that came out called Scream with Me, and it's 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 basically a coffee table book of Misfits art. Um, and it's one of those things to me where, you know, I don't want to say that the misfits are like relegated to being a coffee table book, but like, I don't know, man, like this book, the, the book kind of stands on its own when I look through it. Um, in a way that like, it doesn't even need the music. Like you, you look through it and you think to yourself, like, wow, this is like this, this kind of iconography and this kind of aesthetic is like, it's so, it's, it's so entrenched in like where, like a lot of, you know, popular music and, you know, subcultural music at this point that it doesn't really matter if people are listening to the records because the influence is like so obviously there. Yeah. And you know, that's interesting. Uh, We didn't really talk about their influence on the iconography and look of punk, but they deserve more credit for that as well. Um, but but you're right, and and here's where I stand on it: is the fact that they have something like a coffee table book, which, by the way, uh, at least two mutual friends of ours contributed to that book, so we should we'll we'll talk about that off air. Um, but is the fact that there's a coffee table book about them that's really beautiful and well done, and anyone who enjoys them, uh, you should run, don't walk, and get that now. Uh, but they, and then even you throw on these reunions. And I wonder if that relegates them a bit into this world of, <clears throat> well, they're not an active band and they're not releasing current music, you know? Um, so they're relying on a bit of a legacy thing. And I always wonder about how, in the long and short of it, younger people who, let's be honest, music, you know, punk music for the for the most part is aimed at uh, these feelings of aggression and anxiety and angst. They they strike some chords with teens and and people in their younger years. Not to say that they don't hit me and you in our mid to late thirties the same, but but still, um, I wonder about how that being a legacy act interplays with the idea of aiming at young people. You know, for most people who, you know, what is the average age of someone who attends uh, Riot Fest, for example, which is a big uh, annual festival that went on for a few years. They had uh, at least one or two they were doing in Denver and Chicago, and I think they did a couple other locations as well. I think I know they've done Philadelphia. I think they did Southern California somewhere. Um, But what do you, what would you estimate? And this is purely blind, but would you... I would put the average age around 25. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking older. I was thinking. Oh, see, there you go. I was thinking late 30s. Oh, see, and that's that is the question. If it's late 30s, then I my assumption is that it's people who are familiar with the band, and I could be wrong. But that is where I I start to wonder about wonder about the relevance or or vitality of an artist because the age starts to factor in that said to me walk among us is absolutely timeless the energy jumps off the page and a 
38-year-old can like this as much as a 17-year-old today, tomorrow, and hopefully to the end of time. Um, but but I don't know. It's it's very. I don't think they're a gateway band um, in the same way as they were for people 20 years ago. Uh, for the last 10 years, mm, I'd say they're probably about the same. I think they're not the uh, they're not the first door you walk through. They're they're later. Yeah. You know, if that yeah. sounds right, you know, I think you, you know, you go back to this when My Chemical Romance, My Chemical Romance was a very, very popular band. And you talk about them or a band like something like Fallout Boy. There's probably a step in between there. You know, it's like, oh, I discovered My Chemical Romance and then something in between. And then I got to the Misfits um, and other bands, quote unquote, like that. And, and I do, I think there was a point where, you were discovering bands like Black Flag or The Descendants or Minor Threat through the Misfits, and they may now be in the same bucket with those bands in the discovery process. Yeah, and I, I mean, I also wonder how, how much, you know, being that their logo and everything is so iconic, I wonder how much that hurts them at this point. You know, like maybe people are reluctant to check them out because it's so obvious. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't know. It's just more of a more of a question. But I, I think agree. A- I think there's probably people out there who've heard the Misfits name, and maybe heard a song or two, but never really gave it a deep dive. That's a, yeah. that's a good. Um, we should probably start wrapping things up. But I did want to ask because we talked about the iconography a little bit. If you were to look at the cover of this record, would you know what it sounds like? And it's a little hard because you have to almost divorce yourself from knowing this record for. Yeah. Going on 30 years. That's why um, it's so do you think it sounds like? Um, I think that I divorcing myself from it, no. Um, because at this point, you know, there's a store called Hot Topic that I'm sure everyone's aware of. It's in <laughs> yeah. every mall in America. Um, you know, the aesthetic was you know more or less like co-opted by hot topics so like in that way you know i don't know it could sound like my chemical romance for all i know it could sound like anything um it could be some sort of throwback you know cover art where they're trying to you know like they have their spaceships and you know all these different things um i don't know i mean I, i think at this point like looking at the cover art itself it's it would be really hard to tell i agree I do think it, I will say that it evokes something weird and eerie. Um, For sure. So you have the band members on the cover. You have this odd looking bat spider creature and you have walk among us in a really plain font. That's again, when I look at this record cover, there's eight different elements that I'm pulling apart and going, they have this high contrast photo. They have these layers of different things. The colors are really unique. They're using this purple green color combination that, um, and they, you know, there's been different pressings with pink and what have you, but the purple green is what I think of. And it's, those are colors typically associated with these odd and foreign things. Um, the, the Misfits logo itself is kind of a weird looking thing. I wouldn't know what it sounds like, but I know it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> if I mean, that makes if, sense. if there's a kid, you know, that's, you know, new to all this stuff, seeing this album cover, I don't know. I mean, you look at pictures of the cure, you look at pictures of typo negative, you look at pictures of, you know, 
uh, Sisters of Mercy, you know, I mean, all these bands, like in different iterations, they kind of look very similar. Right. So like this wow. could be like synthy throwback. It could be, you know, <sighs> horror influenced. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I'm just trying to put myself in the perspective of someone seeing it now with fresh eyes. I, <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Directions for me. When you say that, it also makes me think too. The Misfits, because of our background, we associate them in this bucket with punk and hardcore, and and that that's where they belong. That one hundred percent do. But there's also this larger world where you mentioned Sisters of Mercy, The Cure, Typo Negative. Those are all bands with very diverse sounds. However those were all bands that you could see on the stickers on the bumper, the bumper stickers of a car and somebody could have all those bands and a misfits crimson ghost sticker. And it wouldn't be that off putting or weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I wonder about those people, the people whose only true interaction with the more punk world of music. It, it may be, it, maybe it hits the Ramones, maybe it hits, some of the 77 stuff maybe uh but it might just stop at the misfits and, yeah and i kind of think that's a unique and, and cool place and what does that say about the rest of the pool and how how unique the misfit sound is even in the framework of the uh where they get categorized and, and the the record section they're put in at the record store you know no for sure i mean kind of last thing on you know their influence but um I lived in San Francisco for five years and while I was living there, I, um, I, every summer I worked at basically like the biggest concert venue around. It was called Shoreline Amphitheater. Um, it was kind of like the big, you know, outdoor arena there. And, uh, you know, that's where Ozfest was held every year. So I worked the Ozfest every year for four or five years. And, you know, I think at this point, probably most people, at least remember Ozfest somewhat if you're younger, maybe not, but you know, um, it was essentially a big, you know, metal festival headed by Ozzy Osbourne. Right. Um, you know, a lot of bigger bands, black Sabbath would play some years, um, you know, um, uh, all the big metal bands at the time. It really doesn't matter. Slayer, you know, whoever it was, Every, everyone went through Ozfest. Yeah, for sure. every, everyone went through Ozfest. That being said, um, None of the bands sounded like the Misfits from my recollection, but tons of Misfits shirts, you know, Um, like their influence was all over the place aesthetically. And, you know, people were kind of clinging on and wearing the shirts and this and that. But, you know, there was there definitely wasn't a band there that sounded anything like them. So it's interesting how uh, how, you know, their influence can kind of translate in these different ways. Yeah, I mean, yes. And it's. They transcend a genre in such a way that it almost feels like they could be grouped with bands that are so different than them just because of how large their influence is. So, wow. Uh, wow. Well, I, I sort of feel like after this conversation, we should take... Have you ever been to Lodi? I actually haven't. No, I was thinking Me about neither. That. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to go do a road trip up there. Uh, when, yeah, when, when, when trip. It's, yeah, all right. Let's, we're going we're gonna to pencil it in. Um, yeah. <laughs> As is standard for us on this these episodes, do you have a record you want to pick for next time, or do we want to? Do you want it to be a surprise? Um, this time, let's let it be a surprise. Okay, 
I have some ideas. Um, I have a few directions I think we could go, but um, yeah, let's let's hold it for next week. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, you can follow us on all the relevant social media feeds at. It came from NJ Pod. And you can email us at. It came from NJ Pod at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I turned into a marshal. This is It Came From New Jersey Podcast. Technically, this is episode three, but this is going to be a different kind of episode that we hope to uh, repeat in the future. Um, We have a guest with us today. His name is Brian Gorsegner. He sings for a band called The Nightbirds, a great New Jersey punk rock band. Um, He also runs Wired Tour Booking and Ancient Artifacts. Brian, welcome to uh, the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Bob, how you doing? I'm good, Pete. Good to uh, to join you on this wonderful evening. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's kind of exciting to get on the phone with two people that you've known for over 20 years. And I don't know how often that happens. Not that often for me. No, I don't know that I've ever done it. Like a, like a two-way, three-way call like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. You know? full, full menage I hear. Um, <laughs> So uh, let's bring people together for real. Uh, so, uh, Brian, uh, I, I want you to give a little bit of context for some of the things you work on as an introduction. So people who aren't familiar with you can get more familiar. But um, we all have known each other for a very long time in the independent music scene in punk and in hardcore music. Uh, your band Nightbirds is definitely one of the best and actually quite likely to end up on this list uh, on a future episode. So we may have you or maybe another member on, or maybe we'll just have the whole band on to discuss a record at some point. But, um, but which would, I think Pete, that would be a fun concept. What about that? That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But uh, for today, we'll, we'll talk misfits and talk walk among us. Um, Wired tour booking is pretty self-explanatory, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that and Ancient Artifacts, which is kind of an interesting little project that I think probably grew into something more than you thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. I started a couple years ago when I lost my full-time regular person job, which was boring and we don't need to go into that. Um, I was kind of torn between if I wanted to start booking some bands independently, which is something I was doing a little bit on the side already, or uh, try to like open a record shop or, uh, you know, sell um, punk rock artifacts and, uh, records and t-shirts and things like that through like a mail order process. 
Um, so I did them both for a while. The, the record thing is called ancient artifacts and the tour booking thing, uh, turned into wired, um, and kind of just became to realize that like, you know, on one, you're totally dependent on finding collections and scoring stuff. And that's kind of what keeps you afloat. And if that doesn't happen, then you're kind of shit out of luck. And I have a, you know, a six year old daughter and we have a house and I have bills to pay. Um, so I was fortunate enough to get some really cool bands, uh, screaming females off with their heads, the ergs, radioactivity, um, bunch of bands. And, uh, that kind of started to steamroll. Uh, so that was what I decided to focus a lot of my attention on. Um, but I still do artif- uh, ancient artifacts just, you know, for fun on the side, it's still a little bit of income to find stuff and sell stuff every now and again. Uh, I've been trading tons of records and stuff like that lately. And, uh, yeah, Nightbirds has been an active band for about 10 years, been, uh, touring and putting out records that entire time. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of back burner. Now everybody's doing real life stuff at the moment, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my stuff in a nutshell. Well, uh, long and the short of it, um, Nightbirds, as we, I kind of said, absolutely one of the coolest bands going. I, I don't think I ever tell you about that, but but your records not just hold up, but they feel almost timeless. So that's yeah, a, that means a lot. huge testament. And um, Wired Tour Booking, the bands that you mentioned, Screaming Females, The Ergs, Radioactivity, Off With Their Heads. That, if there's someone who's listening to this, who's a Misfits fan, maybe a lapsed uh, punk or, or just a music listener in general, I think you'd find something interesting with that group of bands for sure. And on top of that, Ancient Artifacts, for the person out there with a dusty record collection that you think maybe yeah. is interesting, uh, we'll, we'll try to make sure you can get in touch with Brian. Look him up on all the socials and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Pete, kick us off here. So, you know, as you guys mentioned, we've all known each other for over 20 years at this point, a very long time. Um, We all grew up in New Jersey and we all grew up going to punk shows. In fact, we all met each other, I think, through going to punk shows. For sure. Um, Yeah, definitely. So, you know, one of the early bands that Bob and I got into was the Misfits and we covered that on the last episode. We covered Walk Among Us. So we were thinking to ourselves who we could have on the program to talk about walk among us and the misfits, you know, even further. And, uh, Brian came up because, you know, we've known Brian for a long time. He's been involved with punk for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I have to imagine he's a big fan of the misfits. Um, that is correct. Right. So, uh, that was kind of the impetus for all this. And, um, I think the point of the episode here is to, you know, really just elaborate more on kind of where we went, uh, last episode, but, you know, with another voice in the room, um, another very educated voice in the room, you know, so again, um, really excited for this episode. And, uh, you know, this is something that we hope to repeat in future episodes, um, you know, about different records, but Brian's here to help us kick off this kind of segment of the program. Yeah, the kind of the extension of, we'll call it, because I see, you know, you entered the episode and um, it's part, it's episode three, Part two, maybe we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know, three point five, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, Brian, tell us what was your first experience, if you remember, with the Misfits? I do. Um, my first teenage band um, 
covered cover uh what the hell did we cover my friend my friend john brange was a, a huge misfits fan and i remember before i could drive going to like some real sketchy tattoo shop in new jersey so he could get the crimson ghost tattooed on his arm um and then uh we started doing a band together and one of the first covers we did was astro zombies and he made me a tape that had astro zombies on it and uh you know it's just something that he would very regularly play um mostly later by later i mean like static age um stuff mm-hmm. but, but even around that time i think like the reunion albums were coming out he was very heavily playing that stuff i think like the later singles and stuff it wasn't until i got the box set that i kind of went backwards and discovered that stuff but yeah that was that was my intro to it when um so so what do you remember and i mean you know this is kind of one of those like uh, early stages of punk thing, but what was the difference to you with, was there a difference to you rather with the misfits and some of the other bands you were kind of getting into at the time, or were they kind of just part of a group? I think it was a little bit more, it fit in a little bit better with the stuff that I was listening to at that time, maybe because like, you know, the addicts had like kind of a goofy clown logo and they had a bit like of a gimmick. Um, and uh, even like, you know, one off UK 82 stuff like the exploited, like all, you know, Mohawks and they kind of had a gimmick. And I didn't, you know, I got into that stuff before I got into a lot of the more meat and potatoes, hardcore stuff that I think, you know, Misfits sort of aligned themselves with in that time period, like the Necros and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think had I gotten into, you know, Necros and Negative Approach, Misfits would have been total freaks with like, you know, um, nobody else was doing what they were doing in that uh, in that time and place. Um, but because I was already listening to like more gimmicky stuff, I think it fit in maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, it didn't strike me as that odd when I like, you know, their whole deal. It kind of just flowed with the other stuff I was doing. Brian, I have a question about, um, you know, when your first band covered the Misfits, were there, do you remember any other bands that you may have covered around that time? And I asked that only because one of my first bands, I think the first, probably the first full song I ever played actually was Astro Zombies with a few friends. That's awesome. Um, and the reason we did it was because we listened to a lot of, you know, we were listening to a lot of punk bands, I guess, at the time. But the only one that we really felt that we could adequately play, given our like abilities at the time, was the Misfits. So I'm wondering, you know, if there were other bands that you were considering covering that maybe you know you didn't have the chops. Like it just seems one of the things we talked about in the last episode was how the Misfits, like they write fantastic songs, and like we'll get into all of this. But you know, the chops in a lot of ways like weren't necessarily there all the time. So, you know, like I'm wondering how much of an influence that was on like you guys deciding to cover them. It really wasn't. I don't think, cause that band was actually very competent musically. Um, I really just think it was because the one dude in the band, it was uh, very clearly his favorite band. Um, cause other stuff we were covering was like Oi Polloi and like stuff that wasn't like easy to play. It wasn't like Ramon covers and Miss covers. Um, it was other like pretty, um, technical stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely, we were able to pick up, we, I think we did it justice pretty well because it was like, it was really not much to this song. Like we can, we could probably knock this out. Right. Uh, but I do totally see your point. 
Um, you know, but it's also kind of like, you know, trying to do a minor threat cover when you're a teenager and being like, Oh, this is going to be easy. And it's like the nuances of a band like the misfits that it's really kind of tough to do that stuff well and correct. Cause it's like, it's the gnarliness of it. I think that makes it sound so unique. I mean, if another band recorded walk among us, it could easily sound like a pop punk record or stuff or something like that. For sure. Um, but it's like all the layers that make up the misfits doing that record that makes it like, you know, pretty ferocious. So I want to, I want to put a pin on that because I want to talk more about the sound because I, I had that exact thought listening to all hope breaks loose today. I was like, man, this, there's so much snarl and attitude on this track and it's awesome. And there's so yeah. few punk bands who capture that. And this might not even be in my top 10 or 15 misfit songs. And that's crazy. Um, you hit a point, Brian, that I thought was really cool, just kind of casually. And and Pete, you reiterated it. Um, and you said you before you had before you were driving, before you had your license here in New Jersey, for most of us that that's 17, right? Um, even way back when, right? But uh that that brings to me the idea of like the misfits being an early band, a formative band for so many people, especially in our age range. Was that ability to play their songs? And, you know, you said you were, you were able to play it. You were doing different songs. You're doing a lot of stuff um, that was not as easy. Do you think that helped people getting into it? Pete made a point last episode and, and again, kind of here, where it's like, oh, I heard it and was like, I can do this. Do you think that plays a role in, in their importance to a kid getting into punk music or music in general? Yeah, I mean, I would have to imagine uh you know i think that goes for again a lot of bands you hear like the simplicity of it and it makes you want to go out and start your own band and i think just naturally because the misfits were on the top of the heap um you know i'm sure that that's extremely appealing to a ton of teenagers that you know want to go out and start doing something even like to, you know, start playing drums or start playing guitar. You can just listen to those songs and be like, okay, I can play that drum beat or I can play that really simple fill. Um, you know, I mean, one of the funnest things, <laughs> one of the first things I learned how to play on guitar was the, the 138 guitar solo, the, wah, 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 the yeah. one note yeah. wailing solo. And that's something that over, over years still, I mean, Nightbirds will be like, we need like a 138 solo here. We just need one note to kind of hover over this entire chorus. It gives it so much texture and flavor. It's it's so cool. Um, but it's so goddamn stupid. I mean, it's like, you know, dumb as hell. Who, like who else then was just playing one note guitar solos? It's ridiculous. Right. Well, and, and so to me, I, I, this is kind of continuing off that because I agree. It's like, what? How did they do this? But the energy pushes it over. For both of you guys, uh, are Misfit songs fun songs to play? Because they seem simple, but there's a lot of energy in them. So are they fun songs to do do covers of? And I mean, obviously, Live Reaction or whatever, but are they fun songs to just play? I think so. Yeah, I think they're super, super fun. Um, but again, I think it takes something kind of cool to make them actually sound good. So I, I'm like kind of scared to do them now. I mean, mostly because of, you know, vocals like it, it really takes somebody with some vocal chops to be able to do what Danzig does because despite everything that guy just has an absolutely gifted crazy voice um but unlike other instruments like I'll sit in my house and play drums along to Misfits songs like a hundred percent 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, so, you know, one of the things we talked about, Bob, in the last episode is just how the recordings sound like they're pushing so hard. Like there's that X factor, there's that energy that Brian mentioned too. Mm -hmm. Like when I was playing those songs as a kid, I remember like I I felt like... The, believe believe me, the covers definitely did not sound as good as the Misfits, but um, I felt like I was pushing super hard, which made me feel like you know confident in the way that I was sounding. I feel like right. now, if I were to play those songs in front of people, I would be super self conscious about it, kind of like what Brian's talking about. I feel like it would have to be like Halloween show scenario, like we're decked out in like all the clothes, you know, we like do the whole costume thing. Um, then I would maybe be like, all right, I can get behind this. But like, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to find that X factor that they had. Um, so is it fun to play? Yeah, for sure. But like, if, if I were to do it in front of people, I feel like I would feel a way about it. I feel that. I feel that. All right. So <clears throat> let's, uh, let's hone in a little bit and talk about the record walk among us. Um, Brian, you are a well. Let's start. Let's. I'll pull it back. Brian, you're a Misfits fan. What is your go-to Misfits material? What are some of your favorites? And then we'll eventually get to Walk Among Us, wherever that falls in the overall look at things. Uh, my favorite stuff is definitely uh, the singles, the pre and kind. Of, I love the singles that they did, same era as Walk Among Us, um, Halloween, and Night of the Living Dead. But like Bullet. Bullet and Horror Business, I think, are two of the greatest American punk rock EPs ever. Or not only American, I mean just all-time greatest EPs. I think they're absolutely perfect. I think their production is perfect. Um, it's just incredible pop music, really, played. Yes. Uh, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. When you – I mean, so <clears throat> pop music is right. It's really catchy. Um what separates it, you know, what, what puts it more in that realm and why is it not pop music? You know what I mean? Like it is, but it's not. So, so break that down for us. I mean, I, I just think because of the snarl and the, like the gross sound to it all, um, you know, I mean, they're the kind of band that I think could have written song, you know, Glenn Danzig could have written songs and given them to another, another band. Um, you know, like even had like the Ramones done some of those Misfits tracks, I think they could be radio quality songs, but they're just Ooh. so nasty. I mean, like the bass tone, the guitar tone, even the drumming is just very bare bones, stripped down, and the recordings are just straight up nasty sounding. So I never thought about that. Um, the idea of the Ramones doing the Misfits songs. That's... Because, I mean, that's that's one of the differences. Like, if you compare the Ramones and the Misfits, they're both writing pretty simple songs, you know, nothing nothing crazy, uh, you know, one-note one solos and such. But, but the Misfits were dirtier and more aggressive and a lot rougher around the edges than the Ramones. And you're right. Like, there are certainly, I mean, five to ten Misfits songs that if they were Ramones songs, it feels like they could still be bopping on the radio right now. Yeah, well, I'd like to add one caveat to that, and that's that the lyrics are yes. really fucked up. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm surprised the Misfits haven't gotten canceled in 2020, but 
uh, <laughs> there are songs that are just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like you read the lyrics to something and you're like, that's deranged. Like I didn't realize, and I don't know the lyrics to a lot of misfit songs compared right. to a lot of my favorite bands. You think, you know, all the words and the song comes on and you're at karaoke and you're like, what the hell are the words to this song that I've known for 20 years? Right. But, and then you read the lyrics and you're like, Oh my God, like yeah. that is dark. That's, um, sorry. Yeah. That's one but, of the things that came up in the last episode actually was just how dark those lyrics were. Like, I'm not sure that would fly at this point. And you uh, know, I, I had the same experience as you. I think when I listened to walk among us just for this episode, um, I don't think I'd ever read that lyric sheet before. I really thought that I knew all the lyrics and then I read through them and I was like, Oh, this is brutal. You know, it's also wildly poetic. I mean, the way that he constructs his lyrics, I think are really, really brilliant. Um, <laughs> And it's just so well put together and nobody else does stuff like that. And then, you know, like in that scene, everything else is about fuck school and fuck the government and this and that. But like Glenn's lyrics are, I think, terrific. But when you get into it, you're like, oh, my God, the lyrics to Bullet are like, we read the the lyrics to Bullet. We read the lyrics to Bullet. And I stopped before it got super graphic. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's and and it's uh, you're totally right. Dead on. Because he was also pulling on themes that nobody else was doing, you know? Yeah. And, and I, we kind of said that he created this weird Venn diagram where punk music and people who love horror and sci-fi and, like, cult-type stuff uh, intersect. And it's like, well, obviously, they're a Misfits fan. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh, yeah, you got spiky hair and you're at uh, Monster Mania? You probably like the Misfits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean... and. Brian, going off the poetry of it too. I mean, one of the things I thought about was, you know, a lot of the punk bands at the time were like really on the nose, kind of political with their lyrics. Whereas the Misfits, like, were not technically political at all, but you know, just the vibe and the feel of those songs, like, it feels apocalyptic, right? So it was like, I don't know. I I, I perceive of it as almost like being political without even without touching politics in any way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I really do think that Danzig is a genius. Um, I mean, a, a kind of, of like the Darby crash of the germs level where it's like, you know, you know, all the songs and you're like, yeah, this is like dumb as hell. Like the, you know, it doesn't get any more dumbed down. And then you read it and you're like, Whoa, like what the hell was going on here? <laughs> uh, just next level, brilliant stuff. Um, brilliant stuff. Yeah, and, and pretty twisted. yeah, I mean, edgy by today's standards. Yeah. Like, and that's something you don't hear very much. You know, the way the time marches, things get a lot harder for people to handle, but these lyrics are really out there and you're totally right. Their next level, the way they're written and the way they flow in songs is just incredible. And that, you know, I don't know that Danzig gets credit for that. I don't think he gets credit for that um, in the way that he should in the, spheres and the worlds that he he's been in which is more than just punk but also like metal and rock or whatever you want to consider later era danzig um what would you compare glenn danzig's vocals to like like the styling of it the way it's the style and sound yeah um i don't know i mean it's We we Nothing. hit we hit Elvis, but you know when you listen to it and really dive in, it's like yeah he's taking cues from that, but but it's twisted and ugly, you know it's it's really nasty. Like he, it sounds like he's 
viciously mad at someone who this song's about, but he's singing about uh, a 1960s sci-fi movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I really don't know that I could compare it to anything, to be honest. I think it's really unique. He does. I mean, he has an absolutely fantastic voice. Um, It's just, yeah, it's great and it's twisted and it's very much his own. Um, But the guy can sing, you know, I mean – uh, he could be like a wedding singer if <laughs> if he wasn't Glenn Danzig. Have you ever heard him talk? Yeah, that's the part that really makes me acknowledge how <laughs> good of a singer he is. Because yeah. the speaking voice, it's like, yeah, this is just some dude from North Jersey, man, and he still hasn't lost it, despite the fact I think he's lived in California for you know thirty years. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, some Sinatra level shit where it's like, this dude is so Jersey and then he can just absolutely croon. Uh, I mean, he can. It's just <laughs> to the fact of the matter. So you prefer the singles. Uh, where do you stand on the albums? You know, Walk Among Us, Earth AD. Well, here's uh, this is an interesting slightly off track if you don't mind point of course please that i think is really interesting specifically to walk among us walk among us was the third misfits album uh as far as the recording you know they had done 12 hits from hell and they did static age neither of which were released at the time so the yep. first debut quote-unquote album was walk among us but like that was their third album, which is absolutely insane. And I think it, I think it sounds like that because I think it sounds closer to earth AD in overall vibe than it does the early singles. Um, Mm. but as far as where it stands for me, I absolutely love it. Um, I think it could be a different band than the band on the singles and would still make my top 10. So I think that's a great point uh, that we didn't hit. We talked about how there were the previous album recordings, but Pete, you know, what do you walk among us? It doesn't come off like a band's first album, which makes sense because not only had the, you know, it's, it's sort of this, this thing that will happen if a band records a lot of singles, but then finally puts together an album. Sometimes it can work really well. Walk Among Us feels like a fully formed concept and like it really kind of flows and works pretty well together. And and knowing, you know, putting together the history and lost pieces where it's like, oh, actually they had recorded two full albums before this. They just never made, saw light of day till much, much later. Does that does that kind of all fit to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but, I'm you know, uh, this album, from what I know, was recorded I think the majority of it was recorded in one place and then there were a few tracks recorded elsewhere and then there's a live track. So to me, in a way, it does feel like, you know, it, well, the band and the way that they play definitely sounds like they've been, you know, playing for a while. Um, the record itself, although I think it's like a near perfect record, um, it is interesting that like they would include a live track and, you know, not, you know, have one session. Brian, actually, that's a good point. Do you know why there's a live track? There's so much, there's so much that I find weird about this album. And that is definitely a huge part of it. I have no idea. I mean, the fact that they record, you know, most bands that we would think of from back then would be like, and then we went into this guy's basement in a weekend and we recorded everything in 20 hours. But this was a record that was recorded over multiple locations, live, (laughs) a live track. I have absolutely no idea. Um, 
<laughs> it's totally unnecessary. I mean, our, uh, our guess was that it just, you know, it maybe captured the energy in a way that they were happy with and just went for that over the recorded version or something like that. But yeah, there's no way it wasn't a strategic, very thought out move because that's not the way that they ever operated. So it's there right. for a reason, but right. I <laughs> couldn't tell you why. <laughs> so, so, okay. You love walk among us different than singles. Let's talk about a little bit the difference between the singles and Walk Among Us and, and what you think that is sonically or, or is it just the fact that it's the difference between when a band writes singles and it's like, hey, here's a solid A side and here's a solid B side and now, hey, we're writing a whole album. No, I will say it's absolutely not that and here's why. There's no bad songs on Walk Among Us. There's almost no bad Misfit songs. Really close, uh, really tough to think of ones. I mean, uh, Brain Eaters was our only argument that it's not, and I think I said I appreciated that it was on there. Pete was a little more iffy, but yeah. but that <laughs> might be one bad. of the yeah that might be one of the ones that's like mm, it's not it's not in the top forty. We'll say that. But you know what's weird? It was one of my favorites when I was fourteen or fifteen. We said uh, that 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 amateur juvenile kind of feel to it. I think was very intentional and thought out. And that it's yeah. kind of like it's this. almost nursery rhyme ish, where like you can like any kind of music and you just hear it and it just sounds like some stupid ass schoolyard song. Um, yeah, in retrospect, you know it's kind of a kind of a dud, but uh, I do think you know it, ser- it definitely served a purpose when I was that age. Um, but really, you know, I mean, like Astro Zombies definitely could have been a 1979 seven inch, you know, and it could have easily had. Uh, other songs, it could have had Violent World on the B-side, you know, any of those songs I think could have been singles. Something I think that, um, and again, this is what makes it different for me, and I guess maybe is why I don't like it quite as much as the early stuff. I do think because around this time they were just heavily playing with all the hardcore bands, specifically the Midwest stuff, um, and they had Googie playing drums. Yep. I do think it was just overall a more hardcore band than it was early on when it was definitely just more of a North Jersey, New York City punk rock band. Um, and I think it was a little bit more melodic, a little bit more stripped down. And I think it just started to get a little bit heavier, uh, just a little bit more bass driven by like, you know, 81, 82 ish. Um, and I just tend to like the boppier punk stuff. Like I said, even if this was a different band, it would still end up in my top 10. Um, but it def- it definitely started getting more hardcore. Yeah, no, the speed starts to pick up. And that's where we're kind of on the road to Earth AD. And for the perhaps the uninformed listener, if you listen to the earliest, well, not the earliest, but yeah, you know, even the earliest Misfit stuff, there's a much more mid-tempo not even a gallop. We'll call it a trot. How about that? Um, drum beat. And it, you know, it really kind of stays in the pocket. And as you move into walk among us, it gets fat, it gets faster. But by earth AD, they're on a, a borderline thrashing speed. They go really fast there. Um, so some of the things that you hear them hinting at on walk among us come to roost on earth AD. And you're totally right. Um, why do you think that was? Because I think you're right. Uh, the Misfits' early material does feel like a northern New Jersey, New York City punk rock band. But it feels like they almost never fit in or at least didn't break into the scene there, uh, which 
which if you look at the historic placement for the Misfits, and you can speak on this maybe, they hit at a time when New York City's kind of going through the transition, which that early 76-ish range of things, CBGBs is starting to fade, and the new New York City hardcore thing isn't really kicking off. So the Misfits almost don't have anyone to play with in that world. Do you think that's accurate, or do you have a different view on that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, my uh, my gut was just kind of because the thing is like I couldn't really picture that era Glenn, Glenn Danzig like necessarily even like liking the Necros and I, that's I could be completely wrong about that I have absolutely no idea but I kind of feel like it was the other guys in the band and maybe they had found an audience that actually liked them because anybody I know from back then that actually saw the Misfits like nobody really cared about them in the late seventies kind of thought they sucked. Um, and I think it just happened to work out where when they toured out West, everybody out there just totally ate it up. Um, you know, and they befriended all of those bands. And I think it was just kind of where they found a home, uh, more than anything else. Um, I'm curious. I really wonder how much like did Glenzig did, did Glenn Danzig own a copy of the negative approach seven inch? Right. It's a good, it's I a worthwhile know. question. I mean, I bet so, but perhaps more in the way, dear Glenn, we love your band. Here's my band's seven inch. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's highlight the words, check it out by John Brandon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's so fascinating to me because you're right. We've more than once associated them with sonically with things that they weren't, which is, you know, yes, if you listen to the early singles, it makes sense. Like, could they have played with the Ramones? Of course they could. Of course they fucking could. Um, could they have pl- But the Ramones were almost, I mean, certainly too big unless the Misfits were doing some weird opening slot thing to play with them. Uh, I wouldn't even be... Yeah, I don't know how much they did that. No, I mean playing with the damned or dead boys. Yeah, clearly like that. Sonically, they register a lot more over there, but I don't think they ended up with a lot of those bands too, too often. Um, but then they get a, almost adopted by the, the early first wave American hardcore scene. And that's where it seems like they had a home. And, and there is, you know, there's a slight thing where I think about, do you think there was an element of, these are the people who love us. Cool. Oh, they've got bands. Oh, that's pretty cool too. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, you know, appreciating those who appreciate you the most. Uh, that's, that's what my gut says. Just because even, you know, the early shows, it, most of the flyers I see, it would be shows that they're headlining with like, you know, the victims who was like members at one point or another of their own band, whose record they released, like stuff like that. Uh, where it seems like their own curated thing where they probably called Max's and was like, you know, Hey, we want to come down and headline or something and sent them a record that was on the jukebox. And they were like, all right, but yeah, you're right. Like I, I I could be wrong, but I don't think the misfits and the Ramones ever shared a stage, um, which is pretty crazy, but misfits were just very much their own entity. And I don't know if that was because they didn't want to be a part of something or they didn't know how to necessarily be a part of it. Cause maybe they weren't, you know, like guys from the scene who were necessarily, you know, they weren't doing scenes or, or doing zines or putting on shows or things like that. Yeah. Um, so it might've just been like kind of doing their own thing. And then when they toured, the only natural thing to do was to 
play in these already established scenes. And then they meet these people and, you know, I don't know, obviously all those people ate it up and back home, they totally had like, you know, hometown band syndrome where it was like, people just didn't seem to care. Right. Which is so wild because I think now them being from New Jersey has become almost part of their signature, right? Like that matters. Um, Do you know when their earliest tours were? Because to my memory, they didn't tour much early. They weren't touring on those singles. If I'm remembering correctly, I might be totally ignorant to it. I'm not totally sure. Um, I feel like the first time I start seeing them do out of town stuff is post 1980. We're looking at like 81, 82 ish kind of. And you're what you said where they're playing established scenes. It's like, yeah, the misfits were putting out records early, but they weren't, it didn't seem like they were getting out there. But then once bands were getting out there, like, Oh, let's go do this. Well, I mean, they definitely, they must have, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that they went to London in like 78 or 79 when horror business came out. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Because there was that whole story within the last couple of years where they had shipped a box of horror business singles to a guy in England. Cause they were going out there to do shows. They got out there, they did one show, they got arrested and that's, you know, they ended up writing London dungeon about that. So they were traveling overseas in the late seventies. So they must have been, uh, I can only imagine unless I, I don't know the details of that trip. Um, I don't know. That's a good oh, question. Okay, here, here we go. Thank you, Internet, because I was like, you know what? We all love the Misfits, Pete, uh, you know, but but none of us are this level of crazy. And I was like, with the Misfits, there's definitely people who are listening to this screaming at their thing like, no, you idiots. Um, 77, they play three shows. Um, oh, no, no, no. They, they play. They have it. Oh, my God. This is broken down by the lineup. So they're touring around. They make it up to Toronto and play with the skulls. They open with the victims. They play with the victims in New York, New Jersey. When is this? This is 77. So 77, they're actually playing lots of local shows, but they, as early as 78, they make it out to Detroit. Okay. Back to Toronto again. So they must've had a hookup there. Someone loved that, that I'm sure we can get some good stories on that. Uh, 78, a lot of New York shows, but it's, you know, if they're playing 10 shows and they're doing these really funny sets, this is incredible, guys. You you both love this. I'll send you it on Misfits Central. They have a full lineup of the shows the Misfits played, but they're doing things where it's like essentially two shows at Max's Kansas City with the Flash Cubes, and then they're playing Bethlehem, Pennsylvania back to back, and then they're playing the same venue in Bethlehem, uh, later on that year four shows in a row you know what i mean (laughs) right like four days in a row like so they're doing and they did have a uk tour opening for the damned in 79 and they only played two shows and then the rest was canceled because of said situation um do we know why they were why they were arrested do we know that piece of history i don't know exactly so they get in the U.S. up until 1980, they get out to Detroit once and otherwise it's, you know, they get to Toronto and otherwise it's New York, New Jersey and some Pennsylvania like Philadelphia and Lehigh Valley dates. Post 1980, 
that's the first time they start doing like strings. They make it to Chicago in 81. Uh, and then in 81, they go fly out to California. It looks like, or whatever drive out, who knows? And they play a string of shows. They play three shows in California, two in San Fran and one down in Costa Mesa. Um, and that's that, that was it. Then the walk among us tour is the first, we'll say tour because they, they do a few shows in new in DC do the Northeast, then head out, and it looks like they drive across. And, you know, there looks like there's some holes here, but they do a full U.S. tour on Walk Among Us, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and then yeah. things start clicking ahead where they do an Eva Live tour, Earth AD. Um, so this is this is actually fascinating. And then do the farewell show in 83 with the Necros in Detroit. So, yeah. So in a long, convoluted way, they don't do significant touring other make, other than making it out to Toronto and Detroit and, and flying out to London because it makes sense. Oh, oh, the damned are having us come play with them? Okay, cool. And it does show you how weird and little the scene is, but the best question that's been asked is the Ramones and the Misfits never share the stage. That's fascinating. Yeah. But again, it's like that total hometown band syndrome where maybe by the time they would have had enough momentum to do that, they had already played like over and over and over again, and people had already seen them suck over and over and over again. Right. So, you know, in the UK, like I can say that for my own band, when we go play Chicago or we play London or we play California, it's always better than our hometown shows. Um, and I think it's just, you know, you get out of town and people don't know and they're all totally excited and everybody makes it out to those shows. Um, so it sounds pretty organic. I mean, the way that they started pretty much doing everything, you know, going from pe- having absolutely no idea how to do shit to, I mean, that just sounds like anybody's first band, really. For sure. Um, but as first bands go, the Misfits are a pretty good one. I'd say they had a lasting impact. Um, yeah. Talking more specifically about Walk Among Us, uh, favorite track. This is something we didn't do. So Pete, what's your favorite track as well? Um, I think, you know, it's funny. I brought up the... Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? And now it's a live track before. I think that might be my favorite track. Um, I remember that had a huge impact on me when I was a kid. It was like one of the fastest tracks, if not the fastest track on the album. Um, And I wanted more of that. Like it just felt so aggressive, you know, when they actually kick into the fast part. Um, I I don't know. I don't even know if that's a hot take or a bold statement, but uh, I think that's how I feel. I'd say that's a pretty hot take. I, uh, you know. Yeah, I think I think the cold take is that Skulls is my favorite song on the record um, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good one. People know that one. Um, All Hell Breaks Loose is in the running. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably my top. Uh, Twenty Eyes and I Turn Into a Martian is such a strong way to start the record. Um, I also I just love the way you're kind of dropped into Twenty Eyes. It just it's it sets the tone in that way that, you know, like, Oh, okay, we're going here. Yeah. It's going to be a relentless, like 25 minutes or however long it is. Yeah. Yeah. Those two, the opening two, but in reverse order, I turned into a Martian in 20 eyes. Yeah. Probably (laughs) my favorites. Um, uh, I don't know, but even listening to it today after having not heard it for a little while, violent world like there's just yes. tracks on here that i'm like oh yeah god like this is 
awesome. Violent World has one of the parts that just gets in my head that do, 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 like the deep part. Like that'll just get in my head randomly at times and, you know, becomes one of those silent soundtracks to your life kind of thing when when some bad shit's happened and that's going through my head. Man, it stinks that they closed with the stinkiest track. That's right. Well, yeah, and that's my point. You know, I I just feel like Astro Zombies would be even function as a great closer track. You can just keep the whole record so hot. <sighs> we could just next it. it would have been so easy. <laughs> it would so, have been so easy. So, if there was anything you would, 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 is there anything you would change on this record? We've acknowledged we all like we put the caveat. We're all gigantic fans and like not just like but love this record. So, with that respect in mind, is there anything you would change or take off? I'd get rid of the last song on side A and the last song on side B. Oh, so that's the conversation we had. And Brain Eaters can both take a hike. Now, is it because it's a live track or because you just don't like the track? I like it in theory, but uh, yeah, just a live song in the middle of an album? I, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah, I feel you. On, on paper and in theory, I, I totally feel you, but... I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those albums I've heard enough that it doesn't bother me anymore. Like, I don't know. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I came, I came to the conclusion that I like it and I like the energy. I also said that it's purely for like these weird aesthetic reasons that I'm sure they were, like you said, conscious of it just comes across. It brings an energy that I don't think would be there. And even though it almost feels juvenile to, to do something like throw a live track in the middle of a record, um, it separates it a bit. It, it gives it this kind of different feeling. How do you feel about the production of Walk Among Us? I I like it a little bit less than the singles. Again, I think it was getting uh, a little bit just heavier and more bass heavy. Uh, Googie's drumming, uh, I think. Uh, I, I really think it's the drumming is the biggest element to me um, that I like the earlier stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it just overall gets a little bit heavier. Um, and again, love it, but I prefer the sound of anything before it. If you had never heard the album by looking at it and you'd never heard the misfits, what would you think it sounded like looking at it? Um, that's a good question. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I'll let Pete go first. No, I mean, well, so this is one of the things we touched on last episode. And, you know, what we talked about was in 2020, looking at this album cover, you know, I mean, first of all, yeah, it's a tough question because it's really hard to separate yourself from an album that you've been familiar with for so long, you know, but, you know, there are bands that have existed since, you know, like, you know, any number of kind of goth bands or, you know, like different kinds of punk bands or like, you know, typo negative or, you know, whoever it might be, we mentioned last episode. Um, it's tough. Cause I feel like in a lot of ways it could look like a lot of different genre album covers, you know? Um, obviously it doesn't sound, it, it sounds like what it sounds like, but um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I'm looking at it now because I, I thought that this was a, a video conference we were having, so I came prepared. <laughs> uh, my copy is also still in the shrink. First press, still in the shrink. Mm, uh, Lex. Very nice. <laughs> uh, 
two, two things come to mind. One, if I was like 14 at the record shop, I would probably think it was like a soundtrack because the logo is very Munsters-esque at this point. I also prefer the earlier logo. Um, yes. I will say, comparatively speaking, this was probably their wackest artwork up to this point. And I love the cover to this record, but the singles, I think, have some of the coolest punk rock artwork ever. I think all of them are very aesthetically pleasing for all different reasons. I think they just had, Glenn had a really good eye for that kind of stuff. Um, I wonder if there's somebody that put the art together for this that wasn't him. That's a good question. I mean, when did they first use the new Misfits logo? Is it here? I don't know. I would have to imagine it was probably before this. Um, yeah, it was definitely before this, but I would have to cheat to find out when it, they actually started using it. Same, right. Uh, you know, they were using kind of this more, it looked more hand done. And I, I'm, I wouldn't be, I'd be shocked if this other, the newer Misfits logo wasn't hand done. So I'm sure it was as well. But the earlier version is a little bit more rough. Less, it's less less cartoony, like you know, uh, less pulpy. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. cheating. But. Is this? Yeah, the, Pete. While he's looking, is this? This might be the worst Misfits record art. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, when you really yeah. think about it, the the early singles cover, like Brian said, is it's great. You know, it's like perfect punk rock artwork. Um, and even the later album covers, you know, I think are a little better than this. This one, like. I like it a lot. It looks, you know, it looks great. I've been familiar with it for so long. I guess it's like, it's hard to separate at this point, but it does look a little bit thrown together. You know, it's like they obviously took some things from, you know, old uh, horror movie, movie posters, yep. you know, cut that shot out of them, put it on there. Like it looks, it doesn't look slapped together, but uh, I'll ask this. It what if- like as, many, as much thought went into it as, you know, other album covers for sure. I'll ask this, if you make it a single tone, if you make that all black and white, um, I think it might look pretty sharp. Um, There's just a lot going on. So the layers of it, when you add in the colors, it's tough. And also, you know what? The the Misfits logo throws it off as well because it almost has a more serious tone, um, which some of the early singles do too. But when you throw the logo on it, it starts starts to feel like... um, artwork stew and and not all the ingredients fit together well yeah so that logo really unless it was on a shirt it didn't happen until the 80s and i think they did halloween during these sessions at some point during the walk among us sessions i think is when they recorded halloween halloween definitely has the new monsters logo so does evil live so does die die my darling um die die my darling might be my least favorite art of the misfits, even though it's probably structurally cooler and just as iconic and probably more iconic than, than walk among us. By 84, I think they were just using like lamer art techniques. Like everything before that was probably hand done by Glenn at that point. It's definitely like a font like die, die, my darling is like icicle font or some wax. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I, I must tell you though, I'm looking at the inner sleeve for this record and there's so much weird, cool stuff that I wish one of those guys was here with us to ask. First off, there's definitely a que- a picture with them with Barry Hensler from the Necros yep. 
what looks to be Harley Flanagan and maybe John Brennan. Uh, I don't know who that guy is. Oh yeah, um, I'm looking at it now the one where they're holding up the records. That's definitely yeah, Harley. Yeah, the Necros holding up IQ32. Yep, yep. That's a cool photo, and that that could oh, be Brandon yeah. for sure. Is that is that Harley? That's definitely Harley. 100, it's Harley. What? So that must have been. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean that dude was around and was buddies with these the Misfits, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. So. Talking more about Walk Among Us, I mean, we've kind of circled around it. Any other Sonic things that really stand out to you? Hmm. No. No, I, th- I mean, I think it still has the same grit, riddled in distortion, um, you know, as the singles, I would really have to listen to stuff back to back to see what it is that personally I prefer more. It could just be a matter of mixing or something like that. I just think it's a little too bassy and rumbly and not as like, uh, uh, I guess just trebly and distorted. It's just more, it's just heavier. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, there's so many credits on this thing. It was recorded all over the place, mixed in California. I don't know. I think there might have just been too many maybe cooks in the kitchen or something like that um, when putting it together. It just doesn't have the same – to me, it doesn't have the same rawness that some of the earlier stuff has. Sure, sure, right. sure, sure. Um, Bob, did you have anything more about Walk Among Us specifically? No, I, I I think the last thing I wanted to let you pose because this was your thought was um, about the misfits more broadly in, in the current times. Yeah, um, I was going to say we can probably start winding down. But, um, Brian, one of the things that we talked about in the last episode is really, you know, I got into punk through the misfits. You know, obviously they played a huge part for the two of you as well. Um, we got into a discussion really about whether or not the Misfits are a gateway band in 2020. Meaning, okay. you know, are kids still now hearing the Misfits early on and are, you know, are the Misfits kind of getting them into, you know, deeper into punk rock or deeper into, you know, other kind of subcultural categories. Um, do you think kids are, or do you think, do you think they're not? Are kids getting into punk period i i would say first um and i don't know that they are so much um i mean i would have to assume to some degree they're still as influential as they ever were um but uh i don't know there's not enough there's not as much shock and allure to a band like the Misfits as there would have been, I think, when we got into that stuff. Um, just because a lot has, you know, come since then. Uh, and I think that was a, a big part of it when kids are getting into it. It's so freaky and weird and it looks weird and it sounds weird and it's exciting. Um, but again, they were the gateway for a ton of more bands that came after them that got considerably more popular for them. Right. Um, so if anything, bands like Metallica or even 
you know, I would use Marilyn Manson as an example, but I don't know if kids are getting into Marilyn Manson either. Um, you know, I don't know what current day thing uh, is maybe getting the attention that the misfits deserve from the youth, but uh, I don't know. It's an interesting question. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things we talked about too. You know, um, it seems like to me, culturally, they've definitely had, you know, a really clear impact. Like you said, Marilyn Manson, Metallica, all these bands. Um, and I think like aesthetically there's still clear influence and all of that, but it's just so baked in at this point that it's hard to, you know, kind of break it apart. Yeah. I don't know. We need kids. What do kids like? (laughs) So with that, uh, Brian, would it be safe to say you heard or had, or were very aware of walk among us in 1997? Mm, probably 1998. Okay, 1998. Walk Among Us came out in 1982? Or than we were when we first heard it. You know what I mean? That's weird. It's really weird. And so that's something I think about generally generationally in subculture music. And, and, you know, we, with, uh, it came from New Jersey. Our plan is to do all kinds of music from New Jersey. So hopefully someone who's hearing this, you know, when we talk about certain old records, uh, some people don't look at a Bruce Springsteen record and wonder like, Oh, this came out in 1979. Oh, that was so long ago. But some people do, and I can always understand someone not understanding something. Like, there are people who love the Misfits who were born after we heard the Misfits, for sure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, but I always think about it, because when I listen to Walk Among Us, I still feel that vitality. I still feel energy from it in a way that I think resonates with young people all the time. I think there's still, and I hope, and if there isn't, boy, that would be really sad, but I think there's still people who can't drive we're going with their friend to get uh, a crimson ghost tattoo. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I hope so. I hope so as well. I think that would be a beautiful thing. All right, Pete, anything else, my friend, Brian, have you ever been to Lodi? I've never been to Lodi. All right. Group road trip. Yeah. You can join us. We, we talked about this. Neither of us has ever been to Lodi either. And I think I've only known one person from Lodi. So, um, if anyone from Lodi hears this, uh, we need some recommendations, preferably pizza is a, is pretty high on my list. Um, <laughs> anything else that we should check out in Lodi and, uh, and we'll report back hopefully in the future. And Brian, you, we, we expect you now to join us on this journey. This, this, yes. this pilgrimage to Mecca. I would very much love to. <laughs> Misfits being from Jersey, because also by all accounts, like, and I mean this in the absolute nicest way, but like, you know, from what I hear, they were really just like Jersey bozos, you know, just total like Italian Jersey, North Jersey guys. And obviously I love that and I can relate to it, but sure, I feel like they were more, and again, I don't know. I think it's, I, I find them really interesting, but I feel like they were more uh, like Jersey than they are punks. If, if anything, I'm really curious as to what their t- 
tie was to the scene, like what bands they liked, if they liked anything, uh, or if that was just like their playing ability. Uh, I don't know. I've always been really curious about well, that. And- like, did Glenn own the self-titled Ramones album? Like, <laughs> one would assume. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Wouldn't that be weird, like, Glenn listening to the first Ramones record? I don't know why I find that kind of bizarre. Yeah, but it almost feels like he had to, but then you you think it through and you think maybe not. Like, they could have been this weird island, but then you see, like, okay, they they, they flew to London to play with the Dam, so they were aware of them, and, and they were playing these shows with different bands, so there were some connections, and they did do this DIY putting out their own records, so they were figuring out networking. Um, but yeah, like, here's the other thing that we circled around a bit. It doesn't feel like the Misfits, much like, you know, early wave punk bands, there wasn't this total adherence to the idea of like, nah, man, we're, we're DIY. We don't want any big businesses involved, you know? And as can be seen by, by Glenn's later projects, like that dude signed to every, the biggest label he could and would go play arenas tomorrow. If he could, you know, these, they didn't have any compunction with that. So there wasn't that sort of um, subculture ethics either. It was just like, Oh, this is who wants us to play. Cool. Where are we going to play VFW? Cool. Oh, we're not playing, uh, Tiger Stadium. All right, that's fine. You know. Yeah. No. I mean, and the first out, you know, Walk Among Us is on Slash. It's on a big label at the time, so I can only feel that again. It's just very organic in the way where they were like, you know, okay, I guess we're just going to put out our own records. Okay, I guess we're just going to go play Toronto and not play anything on the way because like somebody asked us to play there. Like it just seems so clueless and organic and cool. And in my head, I think that's why I've, you know, like I could picture them more being like a part of Tony Soprano's crew than I can like guys that would go see the Ramones when they played (laughs) North Jersey. Like I just, and it was just kind of like wanting to do, it just seemed like they started a a company more than anything, like from the t-shirts and their own mail order. It's more like, this than it was anything else but you know and i have that same feeling about like i can't picture johnny ramone purchasing an album either you know like those guys were just very much doing their own thing and if they couldn't be on the top of the bill then they wanted no part of it um yeah i don't know it's interesting because that's just not the way that things work anymore or have for a long time uh but I think, you know, the truest genius freaks were just all about just doing stuff and getting done, not waiting around for a, a record deal or trying to be part of a scene. Like they were just doing their thing. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a great point. They kind of did their thing and, you know, other worlds or scenes kind of gravitated to them than the other way, you know? And I think that's kind of a, a cool place. And, certainly walk among us fits into this tapestry of punk at large, but maybe that isolates why we've talked about the misfits and they sort of stand out even in this world that's supposed to be diverse and all these different things. And, you know, the misfits stood out in a a weird way, even in punk rock music. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. A lot of other stuff you can just lump together with a particular scene or a time. And, you know, you might not be able to talk about the big boys without talking about the dicks or MDC or whatever else was going on in Texas at that point. But like, yeah, the misfits are 
a beast all in their own. Uh, and I, it seems like everybody at the time really recognized it too. You know, like even when they went through Texas and they would play with the big boys, like everybody was a fan. It just seemed like as soon as they got out of town, everybody loved the misfits and they were like their own, just their own beast, a force to be reckoned with. Cool. I think that's a good place to, to end it. Absolutely. What do you guys think? Anything else? No, I, I think that's great. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. That was great. Uh, we look forward to Maybe we'll have you on again. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I love you guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, of course. Brian, is there anything you want to plug before we, before we go? Nah. Check out Ancient Artifacts. Check out Wired Touring. And, uh, of course, check out The Mighty Nightbirds. That works. (laughs) Great. Thanks, guys. 